Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Buckeye Talk from the lobby of the Fawcett Center, where we're probably not supposed to be. There's like a meeting. People, there's a tablecloth on stuff. But we're jammed in here. We're trying to knock this out on a Tuesday afternoon. Nathan Baird has chicken. I ate a plain double hamburger from McDonald's. And Stephen Means does not require food to fuel his body. So he's fine. <laughs> um, we're going to knock this baby out. Um, Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. We're going to dig in on some playoff questions. We have a more than 100 questions from our tech subscribers. But first, let's get to five headlines about Ohio State. Number one, Stephen Means. Will Justin Fields throw his first interception this week? We actually got a question about that from the listeners. We'll get into that a little bit more. But this guy has not thrown a pick. When's that end? I think, I think this is a good week for that type of thing to happen. One of the main reasons is... Michigan State's the, the best defense they've played this season by far, which means that I think the offensive line may have some moments where they struggle and the pressure – And Michigan State can get more pressure on Justin Fields than any team has gotten. And so he'll, maybe he'll throw one just under pressure. He ends up overthrowing a receiver or underthrowing a receiver, and they get an interception out of it. Number two, Nathan Baird, you have analyzed this offensive line and, and what Josh Allaby did uh, as a backup right tackle starting against Nebraska – um, what do you think Josh Allaby's role should be going forward as a fifth-year senior? Well, I think he's proven himself to be potentially the short-term answer, at least at right tackle, if Brandon Bowen can go forward. But sometimes there's a role that you don't see, especially on the offensive line. Those guys who are the sixth and seventh offensive linemen, even if they don't play, they have to be ready at a moment's notice. They have to be ver- versatile. They have to be able to do more than just one job, and he seems to be a guy that fits in there. I think what he proved Saturday night in Nebraska is that Ohio State should be very confident in their backup left and right tackle both. It just happens to come from the same person. Uh, number three, Stephen Means, I saw some kind of quote today that uh, Mark D'Antonio at his news conference said something like, Chase Young isn't human. You're nodding your head like you know what, what I'm talking about. Is Chase Young human? And is there any way that Michigan State is going to figure out a way to block this guy, or is this going to be another week where Chase Young goes nuts? So the direct quote is, I would, I would say I really haven't thought about him in a human context. He's a very good player, big, strong defensive end, maybe a 
Robert Smith type of guy from back in the day. Guy that played 11 years in the league, was a dominant defensive end for us. He's firm, he's well coached, he's got a very quick first step out of the box. So yes, he's not human. I don't think he's a human. I think his nickname, the Predator, is actually what he really is, and Chase Young is his nickname that he has adopted since coming to Ohio State. Like very sneaky by him to trick us. Oh, what's my name? Oh, Chase. That sounds like kind of like a non-threatening kind of first name. We're on to you. You've seen the you've seen the movie. Like the Predators have dreadlocks. What does Chase Young have right now? Chase Young's name is what he does. He chases young quarterbacks oh. all around the field, and he gets them and catches them most of the time. Sounds like a story. Um, number four, I think the continual evolution of Ryan Day um, as a head coach. People, more and more and more people are getting on board with this guy. Nathan Baird is someone who, who has just come to this beat. I'm just curious, what is your overall impression of Ryan Day, both in how he's coached and just what you see with how he stands up as the, as the face of this program? Well, I think what stands out is when you talk to the other veteran assistant coaches on this staff, you see a real genuine respect for the, the presence that he has around the team and the way that he's come in and the moment hasn't been too big for him. How much he has sort of, you know, seems to have taken this with both hands and, and settled in and, and knows how he needs to kind of steer this ship. Um, I think those are important things. I think, but also the fact that he's not a guy trying to do too much. You can see the way that he's sort of delegated to this staff. You know, you, you've got really veteran guys on, your, on the defensive side, especially, you know, co defensive coordinators with long backgrounds, proven backgrounds. You know, let them do their job, let them. You know, you know, manage their staff and, and the, the people under them and let that be how you, in turn, lead the whole program. Number five, does Mark D'Antonio have some voodoo coming for the Buckeyes on Saturday? No. Um, th- th- he's done it before. Mark D'Antonio is the uh, only active coach with three wins over, over Ohio State. He beat him in that crazy 2011 season when neither offense uh, that day was very functional in Ohio Stadium, but Michigan State pulled it out, I think, 10-7. Then, of course, the upset in the 2013 Big Ten Championship game and the even bigger upset in 2015. But Ohio State many times has also taken care of business against Michigan State, including two years ago when they won 48-3, to I think it was. I think it looks much more like that. Mark D'Antonio has done a remarkable job getting the most out of his talent at Michigan State and often more um, than what is there. But there are times, and it's one of the things, you can forget about it because the upsets are so memorable for Ohio State fans. There are many times where it just happened that they just don't have the horses, man. And, and I just think this is going to be one of those Saturdays where there's no magic to be had. All right. Project Text. You can go to projecttext.com slash Buckeye Talk. You can go to cleveland.com slash OSU. That's how you can subscribe. The numbers keep rising. People seem pleased. I was, we were all wrecked. We were all wrecked after this Nebraska trip. It's just a hard travel uh, weekend. And so I, I haven't been quite on top of the text as I, as I have been, but I just sent a little recruiting morsel out. If you're on the text thing, it's coming. You just saw it. A little recruiting morsel. Um, you got to pay for that, though. Four bucks a month, 14-day free trial. Try it out. We're going to go to our tech subscriber questions, and there's a, a subject that we want to dig into. Um, I am uh, a completely... Um, Reverse, Stephen made note of it today that I went from 9-3 and three guy to like, well, they're going to win every game by 50 points. I'm done talking about them, guy. So we're going to try to find interesting, interesting things to talk about because I am going to have trouble breaking down games from here on out because I, I just don't know. I don't know. I mean, if they're – I don't know. what. It, I mean, Justin Fields said it today. 
right? We're, this is, we now begin the process for the next eight weeks of trying to, not trick, trick is the wrong word. I'm a strong believer, Nathan, I, I want to get your opinion on this. College athletes especially, they often mean what they don't say, and they often say what they don't mean. So I 100%. hate, I hate the aha, well, those words came out of your mouth in that order, and the words and the order meant you guarantee to win. And it's like, of course, that's not what this 19-year-old kid meant to do. Right. He didn't mean to guarantee a win. But then there are other times when they won't say anything, but it's like, oh, yeah. They think they're good. They're just too smart to say it. What journalistically? I, I like to little you know peel back the layers a little bit. What's the Nathan Baird uh, philosophy of, of trying to get real answers from college athletes without taking advantage of them? Well, the, here's a good example. It already happened this year with Ohio State. Damon Arnett, I think it was, that came in and said something about, "I'm just excited because we're going to win the Natty." Was that Arnett that said that? Yes, I believe it was. I wrote the thing you, about you it. You wrote it. Yes, I should know. <laughs> I was pretty sure that was correct. Um, so I'm just excited because we're going to win the Natty. And that's the quote that like kind of went viral. But the quote after that explained exactly what he was talking about, which was kind of just the excitement he felt, that there was a vibe that he was feeling. And that's why, you know, he, that, that everything here f- to him felt different than it did a year ago. He could start to, he starts to see what a national championship could be and how this team could get there. And, so it wasn't just him bragging, and it wasn't just him trying to make this declaration. It was him kind of trying to express a emotion. So that's an example of it. I think it's the important thing is to make sure that you ask a follow-up question or that you take the full context of what they're trying to say rather than just rely on a, a quick snippet. So Justin Fields said something today. I think he was kind of asked a question by Rob Aller of the Dispatch, which is the kind of questions I like to ask. That's like you're giving guys an opportunity. It was sort of like, well, what what could beat you, right? There was something like that was the question. And, and the answer was basically like, as long as we're ourselves – we're, we're in good shape. And that, he sort of said, us not being ourselves is what's going to beat us. And we're, we're going to start playing the game. Everybody on the beat's going to play it to some extent of like, how can you get these guys to say interesting things about their expectations and level of confidence without really trying to like trap them into something they don't mean? But that's, that's the area we're in right now. But like, Stephen, when you heard that from Justin Fields, does that does that make sense to you? Were you like that? That he would express that of like the idea of listen, if we do our thing, yeah, we're gonna win. Yeah, I I think it does, and like what I think I think what he is saying is like it's some some humility that has to happen here. Like we talk about what Ohio State have lost nine games in the last seven years. Like you're, you're learning from wins. You're not really learning from losses the way a normal team would. And once again, this season and a season that some of us thought would be down here. Something like whatever that is. Like you thought like these guys are still winning and still having to learn from wins. And in a year where like. At Cleveland.com, we thought Michigan was going to be the best team in the Big Ten East. We all thought we thought that as a whole. They saw that, and Chase Young has said, like, I think every year I've been here, they thought Michigan was going to be the best team in the Big Ten East, and they have to continue on. I think what he's saying is we have to continue on that path and not look at what we've done in these first five games and, you know, start smelling ourselves a little bit here. I mean, to be fair, everybody thinks Ohio State's the best team in the Big Ten every year. Like, every now and then, somebody picks yeah, yeah, yeah. another team, and then Ohio State's like, oh. Right, right. You've only picked us to win the Big Ten eight out of ten years. But like, We're offended. Yeah, but that's the mindset I think they need to continue to have of like a feeling like they are an underdog, even if they we all know they're not. I and the thing is, so and, and 
this is uh, 20 seconds each. You get 20 seconds each because we can't play this game. And, and part of my question is, to me, like, there's no point in playing this game because stuff happens, teams lose. I get it. We've written about it. It is relevant, of course, but are you guys in any way waiting for the Purdue or Iowa game to happen? Like, do you have that in your head? Like, well, doesn't matter how good they are, that could be coming down the pike. Short answer. No, this this team does not seem as vulnerable to that as past teams. Because, again, you can look back to that Purdue game last year and what cost them in that game, red zone production and defensive struggles that had been there all season. And right now, we just don't see problems replicating. Even when a team takes advantage of something in-game, this defense adjusts to it quickly and shuts it off. Steven? Yeah, no, because you knew the defense was a problem after the first game. Like, there's no, like, we're still asking them, what's their weakness question? And we're in week six now, so no. So, and I think, and again, to, to follow up on what Nathan said, and in 2017, JT Barrett got a little loose in that game. Um, he was a good quarterback, not a, not a next-level quarterback, and the linebackers had trouble covering tight ends in that game, and they had trouble with the linebackers that year. So what happened in both those games was the weaknesses that the teams had that you knew about, even while they were good, you knew their weaknesses, and the weaknesses were exploited when they could least afford it. We are on the weakness search. You guys are asking us a lot of questions about what's their weakness, and um, I was on... I'm in that area now. I was on an ESPN radio show last night. I actually went to bed at like 10 o'clock because I'm so old, so very old, and just beaten down by life. And I forgot that I had agreed to do an ESPN radio hit at 11.15 at night. So I like had to practically like wake up to do it. And they said, they asked me, what is the most like remarkable thing about this team right now? And my answer was like the lack of weakness. That, that it's not necessarily like, oh, Justin Fields or, oh, Chase Young. I, to me, it's the, the search for what could go wrong that is so very difficult to find anything. Like, do you guys understand what I meant by that answer? Like, of all the things that they do best, I think the thing they do best is not do anything bad. Yeah. I, and you can't, and you, we can't keep using that they haven't played anybody excuse at this point. It's, we're five games into no, this. We're, we're officially done with yeah, that. Like yeah, like, we're done with that. They're just this good that they make teams look bad. I've seen you do that before. What's that? Like wake up and two seconds you're old. Like you did it like during the Big Ten Championship game last Uh-oh. year. Like I do it all the time. Yeah. Like, I wake up, I say, hello, hello, yeah. hello, hello, it was like, hello, hello. I, it woke me up and I'm like, man, he's like, they would have no idea that he has been up for literally 20 seconds right now. I have done so many interviews in my life where I am literally half asleep. Um, people could really take advantage of me. That's, a, that's for all you radio guys out there. Try to ask me some weird stuff. Okay, so let's get into the text question. We'll start in the 614, um, and we thought this was an interesting thing to dive into. Because, again, because I'm all in, and I even said the phrase on the radio show. I said, I'm not a homer. I said, ask the people who read me and listen to me. They all hate me. <laughs> they, they, I'm not a homer, I Confirmed. swear to you. Yeah, I'm not a homer, but like this team just has me saying these kind of things. Which, again, I feel is more genuine. It's more genuine, and it's not a flip-flop. It's, it's a learned evaluation. I, I, I wasn't automatically there. They had to earn my love, and they've earned it. And now I'm all in, baby. All right. I've been thinking a lot about what you said on a previous podcast about how much better Ohio State is than the rest of the Big Ten. I view Oklahoma and Clemson in a very similar boat. I think that's a smart way to view that. 
Granted that the SEC champ is more likely to have at least one loss, does Ohio State need to go undefeated to make the playoff, or can you envision scenarios where they still qualify with the loss from the 6-1-4 from the Texters? Like, I think we have all said on the last pod or whatever it was, we all think they're going to go undefeated, but, and it's, it's a hard thing, whenever you answer a question like this, you don't know what everybody else is going to do. So here's the thing. If Oklahoma goes undefeated and Clemson goes undefeated and the SEC champ is undefeated and then the other – if the SEC championship game is undefeated versus undefeated, if it's Georgia versus either Alabama or LSU and that team is undefeated. Or Auburn. Or Auburn. And then you think especially – and especially because if Auburn, LSU, and, and Alabama are three of the best seven teams in the country and they're all in the same division – if the team that gets through there undefeated then loses to Georgia in the SEC championship game, but everybody says, man, Alabama had to, be had to be LSU to there, and yeah. Auburn just to get there. Now they lose to Georgia by three, and you're not going to put Bama in the playoff. I think that's a scenario where it's almost guaranteed that then Georgia and that one-loss SEC loser are both in. So let's say that's, let's, let's say that's an error. Let's make it as tough as we can. That scenario, plus undefeated Oklahoma, plus undefeated Clemson, plus undefeated Ohio State. That's five teams. Okay, think, so think, actually a, that's not even the question. That's if they stay undefeated. Right. So let's answer that first, and then we'll get to the actual question. Let's think about that question first. I think is Ohio State in? When you look at I, – I actually just posted this morning about should Ohio State – is my I do, a, I do a college football playoff – piece every Tuesday morning, because eventually those will, those will be released on Tuesday nights. So I try to come up with a different angle, a different question kind of to answer up until November 5th, when we'll start doing, we'll start predicting each morning what we think it's going to be that night, and then they'll come out that night. So this week it was, should Ohio State be the number one team in the college football playoff rankings if they came out today? And the answer I came up with was... I either had them first or second. I'm actually forgetting. You can, I, I thought you were looking at me. I thought you were like, Doug, did you read my piece? What did I say? And I was like, I didn't have time to read it. I'm sorry. And then it was, but he knows you, it was in depth. you forgot. I've skimmed it and I've looked at it in the past and you have categories. I like that you have like the different categories and like sort of questions that you're wanting. Yes. Right? So you I had, break down. right. So this, so I had Ohio State one, Auburn two, Alabama three, Oklahoma four. And I tried, you can't go on conference championships right now. And you can't really go on head-to-head or even common opponents. Like, we're just not that far into the season. These teams haven't played the same teams. So it really comes down to um, how they're winning. And I try to just kind of go by the national, um, you know, where people are statistically right now. And Ohio State is the only team that's top ten in both offense and defense. That kind of stuff matters to the committee. Yeah. And, and I think that, that will make an impact. And, again, Ohio State still hasn't played anybody really of consequence, but you can't most of these teams have not. That's why I put Auburn second, though. They have um, they have played a really tough schedule, and they're going to continue to play one because they haven't played LSU or um, Alabama Bama. yet, and those are both coming up. And not to mention the rest of the SEC, which isn't which is nothing to sneeze at. So I put Ohio State number one right now. Again, that's my unlearned. I'm not on the committee, unfortunately. That's just kind of my best guess based on the criteria that they make available. But the, the criteria is also a little vague. So I think if Ohio State wins out. They've put themselves in position to make the playoffs. But under, the, under that scenario, I don't know who the fifth team out. It might be Oklahoma right now because I think what you said before, Oklahoma is 
one of the best offenses in the country, but does not have nearly the same respect on defense. But I don't Alex know Grinch be. is in Oklahoma, and he's a genius that it was Ohio State's uh, great distress that they lost him. Um, actually, uh, people are saying Alex Grinch is doing good stuff at Oklahoma. Um, so, okay, let's in that scenario right now, Georgia as the undefeated SEC champ, Alabama as a one-loss SEC team, undefeated Oklahoma, Clemson, Ohio State, your team out, and not who we would put out, but who we well, think actually, the committee would put out. Actually, right now, it might, I mean, based on criteria, right now it would probably be Clemson. Okay. You think it would be Clemson I don't, right now? I, but I, I'm, hesi- I'm skeptical that they would leave an undefeated Clemson team out, but based on the criteria, under, and based on what you just but, said, but, I don't know how they criteria, could. Not criteria, not criteria, not criteria. No, but Committee. They, Right, but, but the human evaluation of their criteria, right, which is taking into account, and Stephen is pointing, and we'll get to Stephen in a second. Yeah. I, I think he has a good point to make. Yeah. Taking into account, they're the defending national champs, and right. they're undefeated. Right. So, who do you think those thirteen humans with hearts and minds and families and souls and people that they have to go home to? Then I bet they're leaving out the one loss SEC, SEC team. Okay. Who would they leave out, Steve? They're leaving out the one-loss SEC team. They're not leaving out the reigning national champion who was undefeated. Yeah. Florida State is a prime example of that. They were the four seed that year. They didn't play like a team that should have been in the playoffs. They were three, three, three seed. seed. Three seed. Three okay. Seed. Three seed. They didn't play like we all – they were not playing like a team who should have been in the playoffs. But they're ne- but, they're, but there also weren't as many under te- – I mean, Ohio State was a one-loss conference champ that got uh, in as the four. Correct. But, at the same, but still, like even if, like there's, they're not leaving out the reigning champ if they don't lose. They're still going to get – as long as – Clemson keeps with a, with a Heisman candidate with et cetera, et cetera. They, yeah, they're not going to. Yeah, you're not leaving that out, and so Alabama gets left out if everybody else wins out. And the harder, even the harder conversation about that is that it's Bama. Bama has made every playoff. Yeah. Right. So, so on one hand, so honestly, okay. So let me let me let me. Okay, now I'm into this. This is actually not the question. To be clear, again, <laughs> we'll get back to the question. I I like making it hard. <laughs> Not going to say it. Wow. <laughs> Pause, wow. For edit. Pause. Pause for edit. Pause for uh, edit. So the, the, the choice there, right, is there because those are the five best programs in the country. That's what we're talking about because that's, that's, those are the five programs that are there. Those are the five programs that have dominated college football at the playoff level the last couple of years. Alabama's been in every year. Clemson has been in every year but the first year. Um, and Ohio State and Oklahoma have both been in multiple times. This is a, it's the select group of the select group. So, like, of course you don't want to leave out the undefeated defending national champ who hasn't looked great, but you're also you're going to leave out the one-loss team that barely lost to Georgia that is the dominant program in college football that beat, like, number six and number eight just for the right to go lose to Georgia while Clemson beats nobody? Right. I don't know about that. Now take it to where, like, there's some kind of controversial play. Now you get some kind of, like, you know... Oh, uh, yeah, right. Past the, the, the Saints-Rams call or something Georgia like that. Georgia wins 23-21 on a last-second field goal that half the people think went over the upright and actually wasn't good, but yeah. they called it good, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like or, or whatever you want to say. And that's – so, okay, they'd have I, – but I agree. Of course it would be hard to leave out Clemson. You're right. I think it would be hard to leave out Bama, right, with who they'd beat, even as a one-loss team, and we know the conference championship is a tiebreaker. So, okay, if so it's now, hard for you to leave out Bama – Ohio State, Oklahoma, right? One. Well, that's so. Are we talking about like that? Would be the scenario of you're also talking about you've the Big Ten champ hasn't gotten in for three straight years. Now Ohio State got in in 2016 as the non-champ, 
But the last two years, the Big Ten didn't make it. On the last day, they got left out. You know, the last minute, people thought Ohio State had a shot. They didn't get in. Does that factor into it at all? I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think maybe in the end you're right because it, the easiest thing would be we put in the conference champs. We have four undefeated conference champs. And that's who we put in. We're sorry, Alabama, but you had your chance on the field. I think that would maybe be legitimate. But Ohio State and Oklahoma, will, will have, they would have had to make really good cases for 13 games yeah. to would, allow them to do it. That would be the easiest thing to sell because even though people will gripe about that, you can still say, hey, we just went with the undefeated conference champions. That was, you know, yes, they were probably as good or better than some of the teams that made it. You've got to have some kind of criteria, and that is the most objective criteria. But the scenario you're providing, and especially if they were to keep Alabama and keep out one or more multiple, one or more undefeated Power Five conference champions, that would maybe be the thing that finally ended this four-team fiasco and gave us a real playoff. I think the fact that like the only reason it would be a conversation is because who the team is that has the one loss is why you don't put them in, in that scenario. So, so the other thing here is um, everybody, like, people always lose, right? And, like, I had said, who was the one last year? Oh, that, I had said all of last year, among, on the list of other wrong things that Doug has said, um, I kept saying all last year, Notre Dame's going to lose, Notre Dame's going to lose, Notre Dame's going to lose, don't worry, Notre Dame's going to lose, Notre Dame's going to lose, Notre Dame didn't lose. So... I swear we'll get to this question in a second. But the, the thing that, it, that is a fallacy, and it's not a, I guess a fallacy is like a thing that you uh, well, think is true, but actually is not true, right? So this is not a fallacy because we know it's not true. When you have five power conferences and you have one conference that is so dominant that the SEC honestly is sort of treated differently. It's almost like there's one superpower conference, four power conferences, plus Notre Dame, that I just don't think that you can assume that the SEC is is treated like all the other conferences. And that, you know, if you had a, a one-loss conference championship game loser in any other conference, it'd be like, well, of course they're out. But but when it's Bama, right, or when if, if it's undefeated, like they just, I, right, we, we would understand they would be viewed differently. You don't control your own destiny. Even going undefeated, you don't exactly control your own destiny because there is not a guarantee for any conference champ. And so the thing of like, well, everybody loses, of course. So like if you go undefeated, you'll be fine because there'll be enough other people that lose. We've never had a two-loss team, but we've also never had a playoff where it's been all undefeated teams, right? So so we're eventually getting around to this other question, but like part of what has worked against Ohio State in the past. And again, no team has been close as many times as Ohio State. We've had five playoffs. They've been the three seed, the four seed, the five seed, the six seed, and the seven seed. So they made it as a three and four. They didn't make it as a five, six, and seven. And all they would have needed when they were a five or a six or a seven is one or two other teams to lose one or two other games during the course of the year. They wouldn't have had to do anything different. And then it would have been like, well, okay, they have one loss, and we wouldn't be as caught up in the Iowa or Purdue thing because when somebody else lost two and they still got in there, one loss conference champ, that's a very compelling case, they're fine. But they've had some bad luck with, with some of the other dominoes that you maybe would assume would fall, like never falling. 
And also so, some good luck the year that they did lose a game early in the regular season, and a scenario like you're presenting didn't unfold. They still had an opening to sneak back in. And, that, and that's the part of it that's very hard and why um, I am always reluctant to say things like, if you don't make the playoff, you're a failure. That season is a failure, yeah. right? Which some people want to hold to that hard, fast rule. So then it's like, well, but if if one other team had lost one more game and your season was exactly the same, then it wouldn't have been a failure, right? I mean, they won it as a four seed. They barely got in in 2014, and then they won it. How would we look at Urban Meyer if they had been a number five in 2014? And none of that stuff ever would have happened. Mm-hmm. And people would be sitting around to this day saying, man, I can't believe Urban Meyer and Meyer never won a national championship at Ohio State. And eventually it would fade. It would have been like, oh, yeah, remember when they won 59 nothing in the Big Ten championship game and they still were only number five? I thought they were going to put him in that year. Oh, well, man, Urban, how could you never win a championship? That's, I mean, how, we were two votes away from that. Two people. Somebody on that committee wasn't unanimous for Ohio State over Baylor and TCU. It was nuts. There was no right answer there. They just happened to pick Ohio State there are as the answer to they this chose. Day who would probably still argue that yes, Ohio State went out and earned the championship, but there are probably still people who would argue they shouldn't have got in. And so, what happens in 2017? Ohio State's the five seed. Bama's the four seed. Bama wins the national championship. You know what never would have happened if they would have put Ohio State in as the four seed instead of Alabama, which on selection day I thought was going to happen? No Tua. Yeah. The Tua miracle happened because they picked Ohio State over Alabama they picked over Alabama over yeah. Ohio State. Yeah. Alabama won as the four seed. We've yeah. seen again and again the way this works. The four seed absolutely can win the whole thing because these elite teams at the top, they're all bunched. The four seed could easily win. That's what I've been trying to tell everybody who yells at me about my – top of my AP pool. I'm like, it's it's hard to separate these teams right now. And and then the reality for Ohio State has been they've made compelling cases to be number four with their body of work. They didn't get to be number four, but if they did get to be number four, they might have won the national championship. But because two people in a room voted a certain way, and so that was seven, it was, it was, what's 13? Seven plus six. six. So it was like, Eight five against them instead of seven six for them, right? To get in, then like you're a failure. Right. And when everything else, you still got your butt kicked by Purdue, you still got your butt kicked by Iowa, but it didn't kill you. You had a shot at the end because a person in the committee room gave you that shot. So that's that's what we're talking about here, right? So let's get to the question, and then I want to make a point about 2015, although I actually might have already made that point by accident. So the actual question is, can you envision a scenario where they qualify with one loss? So we just laid out a scenario where they might not even qualify going undefeated if everything works against them. That is a super unlikely world. So so let's make a point. Let's give them a loss to a reasonable team, Penn State, Wisconsin, probably the most reasonable. Maybe a revived Michigan. Mm. Let's have the loss be not of the Purdue or Iowa variety, which, again, is the complicating factor in this. But let's say it's like the Michigan State loss in 2015. But it's not – again, it's a complicating factor. So there are three losses that have mattered in the playoff era. Two of them were blowouts. And the one that wasn't a blowout then cost them – the division title because the team that beat them then went and won on won the Big Ten and took that playoff spot. So let's say they lose to Wisconsin or Penn State or Michigan or Northwestern. 
but they still go to the Big Ten Championship. Let's say they lose 27-24, but they still go to the Big Ten Championship as a one-loss team, and they win the Big Ten. Do you think – now, if everybody else is undefeated, if Oklahoma, Clemson, Georgia, and Alabama going to the – if everything else is undefeated in the previous scenario, they're not in. They're not in. But let's assume they are up against other one-loss teams. Let's assume somebody jumps up and bites Bama. Maybe somebody or, or jumps up and bites Oklahoma or that the SEC championship is not undefeated versus undefeated. One of them has one. How do you think this Ohio State team would stack up the way they've looked with a good loss against well, everybody else? It depends on two things. I think it depends on, again, a lot of help that they can't control, and that's what you're talking about. Somebody else, there have to be, there can't be all these undefeated teams. They're going to have to get some help. But number two, it depends on a team like Wisconsin or Penn State continuing on the trajectory they're on and really putting themselves out there as another upper echelon team. Then you could maybe to get help a scenario. help it be a good loss. Right. Then you could maybe get to a scenario where they lose a narrow game to Wisconsin or Penn State. Or I guess it would have to, it almost, I think it would actually have to be Wisconsin. They would, if they lost to Wisconsin and still then came back and beat them in the Big Ten Championship game, there's a scenario where they could get in. Okay, so I just looked at both teams' schedules. Like, Wisconsin would be a good loss. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a loss, but, like, that's a loss that's, like, tolerable. Maybe Penn State's a tolerable loss. Those are but the, losing to Penn State, they'll probably keep you out of the Big Ten Championship game with another chance to beat right. another really good team okay, so, right before the So Wisconsin is the, the, the loss where, like, we can tolerate that. So for Oklahoma, let's just say Oklahoma is the other one-loss team that they're battling that last spot for. Their bad loss would be Texas. Both of those games are home games. So some of that, I think, would have to deal with which team do we think is better, Texas or, or Wisconsin? So that would come into it. I think you'd, I mean, you'd start playing the game, but, but, but I think the greatest part of that game in the end is how good does the team in question not necessarily how good the loss is as long as the loss isn't a blowout to a mediocre team which Ohio State has passed two years I think a chunk of a big chunk of it is just how good do you think that one loss team is all the 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 12 other weeks the 11 other weeks in the regular season and their championship game how good were they and and I want to make a point about 2015 before we move on. A lot of this is theoretical mumbo jumbo, and I am a fan of theoretical mumbo jumbo. And we're going to get maybe more mumbo jumbo ish as the season goes on because at some point, like again, like we can't just have a podcast every two weeks. Like, is Jeffrey Okuda like super super good or like super 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 good? It's like he's super 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 good. Are they building up equity? And, and I don't like the word style points because I think that's antiquated. I think. Just honestly, what you do every week in the modern, the way it works when conference championships aren't a guarantee, it's not, it's not about style. It's substance points. How good are you? And yeah, it's but- not about keep your starters in in the fourth quarter. It's about go out every week and kick butt. Yeah, the, the beating up Nebraska 48 to 7 isn't as important as being up 38 to nothing at halftime on Nebraska. That's the kind of thing that should resonate more with a committee in the long run. It's that you went out and were just emphatic from the beginning as far as crushing a team. But I will also say I think the style points matter more when they play Wisconsin, when they play Penn State, but not, when they but, play Michigan. But not style points, substance, substance points. points. Whatever. Yeah. How are you? Okay. It's Whatever. A, I'm trying to coin a phrase here, okay. Nathan. Come on. <laughs> You're t- patent pending. <laughs> Trademark. 
Um, but I think it's going to matter more when you go head-to-head against those other teams that are really good, maybe not yet considered playoff contender good, but if you go out and thump those teams, make those kind of like emphatic, comfortable wins, I think those make an impression too. For instance, like 59 nothing against Wisconsin well, I was about to bring up, yeah. 2014 is a heck of a lot I, of substance points. Exactly. I think if they're going into Big Ten road games and beating teams by 41 points and then they're winning Big Ten home games by like 35, against like the, the upper echelon of what the Big Ten is, if they're winning those games by 30 to 35 points, then yeah, those are your substance points right there because you're emphatically beating whether it's in Ohio Stadium or if it's in a different city, you're beating the teams you're supposed to be, and you're doing it in an impressive fashion. And then you're also doing the same against teams that maybe it should be a seven-point game. By that same token, I think Ohio or Wisconsin may have still the best substance points win so far, being up thirty-five to nothing against Michigan. I know it was right. at home, but still, and they're eighth right now. Which, like, if things as things as teams start to play, you know, the other you know top ten teams in the country, if Wisconsin is playing the way they are. They might be a top six, top five team ranked in the country by the time they get here. And, and I, I'm going to try to, over the next several weeks, make um, several comparisons of this Ohio State team to other um, very good Ohio State teams that I have covered here since 2005. And try to do some breakdowns about where this team might be better, where maybe the team of the past was better. But I think there's an important point. Uh, about the 2015 team because, again, that's in this theoretical mumbo-jumbo discussion that we're having, um, we're just, you know, we're, we're going to assume if they lose, it won't be a blowout to a mediocre team. So then that brings 2015 into play. The difference is in 2015, we all knew how talented they were, but they did not show it every Saturday. And when you look at the college football playoff rankings – um, they were third, third, and third before they lost. Um, Clemson was undefeated, um, number one ahead of them, and Bama, which had one loss, was actually also ranked ahead of them. That when when they fell from third, they fell to eighth uh, after they lost to Michigan State, and then they moved back up to sixth um, by beating Michigan. Um, but they had not built up the equity that this team looks like it's building up right now. So as talented as that 2015 team was, because they couldn't get the quarterback stuff figured out, because their offensive coordinator situation was a mess after Tom Herman left, you look at the scores they put out there. They beat Northern Illinois 23-13. to They beat Indiana 34-27. to they beat Minnesota 28 to 14. This is the kind of thing that they were doing on a regular basis that is not what this team is doing. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Yes. If I could ask you, please, just keep it down just a bit. Yeah, I'm a shouter. It's very entertaining, I understand, but we'll keep it on the down low. I appreciate that. Um, Fawcett Center guy just told me to stop shouting. Um, so the, the difference is in 2015, they didn't do what this team is doing right now. So when they had that one loss, yes, it was a devastating loss to the wrong opponent, and that's what did them in more than anything. But they weren't in a position to really fight to – actually, there's a great comparison the other way. 
they were not in a position to make a case as a non-champ, which the 2016 team was the very next year. The 2016 team wasn't as talented as the 2015 team, but they put it out there. They beat Wisconsin, who was a good team. They beat Oklahoma on the road, who was a really good team. They stacked up wins that gave them a margin of error. So even when they lost to Penn State and didn't go to the Big Ten championship game, they still made the playoff because of the equity they built up during the season. So as we return to the actual question, could they make it as a one-loss team? I think you have to think about the things they are doing week in and week out to look impressive, and that if they fall all this stuff right now, 48-7 to over Nebraska when it was 35 nothing, and it could have been 70 to nothing if they wanted it to be, that really matters. Not just winning at Nebraska, but winning at Nebraska in a way that makes everybody in the country think they are absolutely one of the four best teams. Does the home away context matter? Because, yeah, they, they, they built up equity, but they also lost at Penn State that year. Ohio State doesn't have a at Penn State this year. Like, Wisconsin and Penn State are both home games, and the way Michigan looks right now, I don't know if – and the fact that it's that late in the season, it's literally a week before the Big Ten championship game, I don't know if – those uh, lost to either of those two teams at home is the same as losing to one of those two teams at I don't think it's the distinguishing thing. I think it's a factor. I mean, they lost at home to Virginia Tech that year. I mean, a home loss generally is worse than a road loss as they take all these things into consideration and they're splitting hairs and trying to figure out, you know, which team should be what. Uh, I think it's about the totality of your dominance and and they have me- they have measures of that right game control and the various things. But there's a there's an eye test component to. Do you look like one of the four best teams? And I think right now Ohio State is putting it out there that they look like one of the four best teams. And if something goes wrong, I think they will have more benefit of the doubt. So to answer our texter's, texter's question, of course, if they're only up against one, if they're only up against undefeated teams and they're not undefeated, they're in trouble. But if they lose and they're up against other one-loss teams, I think – and that's the thing, too. I do think this is – see if you agree with me on this. Clemson, the idea of leaving out the undefeated reigning national champ, I think would be very difficult, right? That Clemson if Clemson hasn't done anything wrong, and you're going to deny them their chance to repeat their title. But if they lose, they're out. If they lose and it's a one-loss Ohio State versus a one-loss Clemson, then I do think that's a very different conversation because Clemson had their opportunity. They lost their game, but they overall, if overall over the course of 13 games, they just don't look as good as Ohio State, then I don't know that being the reigning champion would factor in anymore because you know what, Clemson, you lost and you opened the door. They're out. And one, for some of the reasons you just named, they're not really building up that equity that if they lose a game, we should let – they just – they, a two-point conversion it was the difference between them losing and them winning this past Saturday. That in the ACC is just like it's Clemson, and then like the next best team in the ACC is like a, from a talent standpoint, there's such a drop off that Clemson, like yeah, if they keep winning, they're in. But like, if they lose, they're out. Yeah, I mean they're not. Not only they're not building equity, they're kind of going in the opposite direction. I think they're losing credit right now. You saw that in the fact that they won a game last week, and then other teams picked up number one votes, including Ohio State, including Auburn. They got passed, which hadn't happened in, um, what, since 2015. I think Ohio State might have been the last team that won and got passed um, as the number one team in the AP poll. So, um, yeah, right now they're they're not gaining a lot of traction. But at the same time, what, four, four or five teams? So Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Georgia, and Auburn 
all had first place votes in the past poll. And then two other teams, LSU and Oklahoma, are in between there. And even though they weren't getting first place votes, were actually higher than Auburn. So right now things are just completely wide open. I do think that we'll get off this topic on this question. Um, and I don't know. If we want to look up, when do Alabama and LSU play each other? Do they play each other before the first playoff rankings come out? Because that's obviously going to have a lot um, a lot of consideration when you when you talk about play best wins. November 9th, so they do they, not. Okay. I think if things continue on this track, and of course, like we have more than a month of doing it, um, to the point of, I mean, the question that you asked and that you wrote about is like, would Ohio State be number one if the playoff rankings came out right now? So let's let's go to you know the rest of the season unfolds basically along these lines. Ohio State would have had a, a win over Wisconsin by then, which is a top ten win. I absolutely think, and the committee has shown this in the past, they are not beholden to the AP rankings. They always, there's, especially in that first ranking, there's often a thing that a team that is like sixth is act, and then comes up, in, in sixth in the polls is third with the committee, or a team that's second in the polls is fifth with the committee. That happens on a regular basis. I absolutely think Ohio State could be number one in the first playoff rankings because Alabama, LSU wouldn't have happened yet. And then everything else is like whatever. The Wisconsin win would be as good as anything. You know, LSU has the Texas win and Georgia has the Notre Dame win. But a Wisconsin win would match that. And we haven't had an actual showdown of of really the truly elite teams. I think maybe then the Alabama-LSU winner might go to number one as soon as it happens. But I absolutely think in that first committee rankings, the way the Buckeyes have looked, I think the committee would very well possibly honor that. Yeah, that's kind of why I put them there. This Again, just going by what the stated criteria are, trying to get in their heads a little bit, going by what – I do sometimes think it's vague. I do, going back to your point, think sometimes it just depends a little bit on human whim. It's not a perfect scientific formula that they have. But just going by that, I mean, Ohio State is just taking care of business on both sides of the ball to such a drastic measure that I think that's going to – have a lot of resonance with the committee. All right, let's run. We're going to run a little bit through some questions now. Again, modulating our voices, that is appropriate for a lobby of a place of business that people are moving in and out. I just saw Jerry Emig walk by. Oh, geez. Doc, can you keep it down over there? We're trying to, if you just the shouting about the secondary. How much of this fast? That was for Mike Bassford. That's for you, Mike. <laughs> How much is I love Jerry. Jerry knows I love him. I said I could. They did the whole thing. You guys have seen the journey on Jerry, right? The whole thing about his family and what a what a tremendous. You, have you seen it, Nathan? I have, not, no. have you seen it? I haven't. You guys should watch. Well, I'm it. Go Just watch go it. Google it. Um, not only because I'm in it, but uh, oh. but I I coined. I don't think I coined the term, but I called Jerry Minnesota nice in that uh, in that uh, piece. Is Tim May in it too. Did, they, did, did the someone have come, a microphone and say today? the word Ohio State? Yes, Tim May is in it. Have you seen a documentary about Ohio State football in the past 30 years that doesn't have Tim May in it? Today, not. Gene Smith gave a 15-minute press conference yep. about the California NLI law, and the last question was going to come from Tim May. So that 15 minutes was interrupted by a minute of Gene Smith blowing him crap. Going, do yeah. you work? Yeah. And Tim Tim does work. He works for Letterman Row, and he said... Uh, I think he said in the part of like when Gene was saying, like, uh, do you have a job or whatever? And Tim May said, I have a very popular podcast. <laughs> I think he did, <laughs> which is also true. Uh, one of the 37 podcasts on Ohio State football right now. 
Billy in Kansas, how much has this fast start been accelerated by Ryan Day getting a trial run last year? In other words, would we be seeing this level of winning in, in these five games um, if they were Ryan Day's first five? I guess what I'm saying is, should we thank Zach Smith for this? Um, I think no. I think that I, like, I get it. Um, Ryan Day had to run camp. I think we've said that before. I think that was kind of a bigger deal to run a training camp. But he's, he was going to have these structures, Mick Marotti and, and, and Mark Pantone and Ryan Stamper and Brian Voltolini, all these these guys who were part of the Urban Meyer era. And Ryan Day was part of the Urban Meyer era. Like, to run it on game day and, like, that kind of thing, I actually – I don't know that that was that big of a deal Yes, it's better than not doing it, and he had never been a head coach at any level before. So, so I get that, like, just the idea of getting up in front of a team and knowing how to lead a team out of the tunnel and all that stuff. I guess it's better than not having it, but I, I don't think it would have been like they would have had bumps only because of that this year if he hadn't done it. So, I appreciate Billy from Kansas the effort to credit Zach Smith um, for Ohio State's fast start, but I just. I know what you're saying, but I, I just actually think Ryan Day would have been fine anyway. Um, from the 412, I was listening to the press conference, and Jeff Halfley said Brian Lewerke might be the best quarterback they play. Coming off playing Adrian Martinez, do you think the defensive coaches are more concerned about a veteran guy who plays smart than they are a young guy who they think they can force into mistakes? I think it's a very interesting way to couch that. What do you guys think of the idea of, again, Adrian Martinez is talented, but they they got in his head. Lewerke's been around forever. Yeah, Adrian Martinez tried some things that just didn't work out. He overthrew some guys. Um, he tried to throw on the run a couple times, and it just didn't work. I think there is like, – Adrian Martinez isn't a true freshman. Like This isn't his first time playing Ohio State's defense, especially with some of the personnel that was on that team. But I do think, yeah, one guy isn't the athlete, and so he's not going to be trying to use his legs as much and trying to bail himself out the way Martinez was. I think Lewerke knows what he can and can't do. Yeah. So you think you agree, Nathan? You think that might be a tougher test for Ohio State's defense? I even made this point in a, a post that we put up after the game, or a video that we put up after the game. Go to YouTube. Go to Cleveland.com first. Ohio State football at Cleveland.com. Yeah, um, and it said the same thing that I think I, I'm eager to see what a veteran, more poised, plus more talented quarterback. You know, get a combination of those things. I mean, let's not. I, he's not as flashy, but he's thrown for 1,300 yards in five games and has 10 touchdowns against one interception. He's very—he's he a workmanlike guy. He maybe. was really bad last year, but he was hurt. He was pl- yeah. trying to play through injuries last year. So I, I think I just feel like he has some poise. I feel like he has some smarts, and those kinds of things don't necessarily matter when Chase Young is about to devour you, but I think he might not fall apart as quickly as Martinez did last week. And I think it's it was obvious watching that game that Ohio State was in Martinez's head by the second possession, but into the first possession probably. From the 813, Bryant, uh, Baron Browning. Bryant Browning was a heck of a guy here. I'm a, I'm a big Bryant Browning fan. Offensive lineman from Glenville. Miss that guy. You like guys with the last name Browning, apparently. I do, but I don't like Jake Browning, who was the noodle arm of the West, uh, the Washington quarterback. Um, we would like, I, I don't know if you guys know, we like to sometimes assign nicknames, derogatory nicknames to college athletes, because that's what old men should do. Just in fun, just in fun. But we did, we have a history of calling, um, we call Alex, and Bill Landis started this, Alex Hornibrook at Wisconsin, we called him Noodle Arm, and then uh, Jake Browning at Washington was the Noodle Arm of the West. So if you guys want to come up with any nicknames uh, for players on other teams, uh, or Ohio State players, um, feel free. Like, for instance, we could just call Pete Warner, and on first reference, just call him The Neck. Like, nice tackle. Like, And if we start to, in fact, I'm going to start doing it. You will never hear 
the name Pete Warner come out of my mouth again. I'm just going to say things like the neck destroyed that guy. I would just Literally. I would drop the the. I would give you the same advice that Justin Timberlake gave uh, as as uh, Sean uh, what's his name gave Mark Zuckerberg in the Social Network. Drop the the. And just go with Facebook. I would drop the the and just go with neck. Yeah, but in that situation, literally, neck the neck is the is what got the tackle. Yeah, literally. So, like, all right, so even... just just neck Warner. But 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 just neck. Not even not even. Oh, just not, like just, just like Bono. Yeah, Nicholas. Just neck. Nicholas. <laughs> Nicholas. That would work if his name was Nick. So so, good hit neck. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll work it out. But but if you guys, I just want to throw that out there. If you guys just, you know, if you're feeling, if you're feeling a nickname coming out, just let it flow. Baron Browning played a lot more against Nebraska, and it looked like Tough ran more with the twos. Is that a product of who they were playing, or is Browning slowly taking the job? Again, I think Tough started, which is yeah. what we've seen, and then yes. Browning works in. We have a Baron Browning story that's coming. I don't know if you guys got into this. And again, I don't really pay attention to the games. I'm just kidding. But it's a night game, and when it's out of hand, it's like we are writing, and you don't necessarily have a lot of time to like keep notes about who's playing. And the Browns played it when you get any sleep, so I have not rewatched the game yet. Did you? Are you feeling a shift? You're writing about Baron Browning. You just talked to him. I don't know if you guys get into it, but I mean, I, I guess you would imagine he must feel pretty good about his playing time. But like, where do you think that might be headed? Well. I, the two different questions. As far as how he's handling it, we did, I did ask him about it, and he said, "Hey, you you worry about what you can control." Um, and and more to the point, and this is what kind of what I'm going to end up writing about. He is in a different headspace to handle that scenario than he was a year ago at this time, which is also why when he is on the field, he's capitalizing on it better and playing better, and you're noticing him making an impact in a different way. As to whether or not that's going to change anytime soon, I think. There's a reason why Tough Borland is a captain, and there's only so much a captain, a leader can do with the team if they are not actually on the field playing. It's nice to have C.J. Saunders. Um, it's nice to have. Well, we just saw this past week with Jonathan Cooper. I mean, we asked. It's a game where they won forty-eight to seven. They could have probably won that game again, pretty emphatically, without Jonathan Cooper. But you ask players and you ask Jeff Halfley what it meant to have Jonathan Cooper back this past week, and their faces light up because of just his attitude, his. His whatever. Now, Tough Borland's a different personality. He's not quite as um, gregarious and outgoing as Jonathan Cooper seems to be. That we know of, yeah. As far as how he treats us. And, and usually there's some kind of correlation there. But I think if if you, you want Tough Borland to be engaged and to be on the field leading your team. So I think what they've come up with actually makes a lot of sense. Get him out there at the start of the game. He kind of helps this team get set up the way it needs to get set up based on what the opponent is doing. And then... Maybe Baron Browning is the more dynamic linebacker. Maybe he is the quote-unquote better linebacker at this stage of his career. There's no reason you can't use them both. And, and if Browning ends up playing more snaps and ends up playing the meaningful snaps late in a game, which we haven't actually seen that yet, where it's a, you know... They have had meaningful snaps, so yeah. Right. But if, if that scenario emerges, I think Baron Browning would be the guy you would see on the field later in games. And again, Jeff Halfley asked about that today. And it's, hard. it's one of these things, like, we get the coaches we get. It's not Jeff Halfley's decision. Jeff Halfley's, like... Who's going to play late? In the, he was basically asked, who's going to play late in the game when you need him, Borland or Browning? And, and like, he could have said, like, I don't know. I'm the secondary coach. But he's the defensive coach we got this week. He's the guy we had to ask. They're, they're going to – it's matchup. Of course it's matchup based. It's like it depends who's in the game for the other team. Like he said who the tight end is, who the running back right. is, the way the game is being played, how that team plays. Of, of course that's going to be the answer. But, it, again, I think more often than not, when you need somebody late in the game, I would imagine that Baron Browning is going to be on the field. And we've yeah. talked about that before, and it's a constant question from you guys. And I, and I get it, and it should be, because I've been obsessed with Baron Browning. And, like, I couldn't be um, – I mean, I don't 
I was going to say, I couldn't be more pleased. Uh, I had a weird interaction with Baron Browning today where I tried to ask him about the black jerseys, and I ended up talking about how I like to wear plaid shirts, and he basically said, shut up, old man, but not he didn't say that because he's too nice, but he said it with his eyes. Um, I just really am happy that a talented guy is getting to show his talent, and it just frustrates me. And it, it doesn't happen very much here. They do a pretty good job of getting the best out of a lot of guys, but I just... When guys, sometimes guys, for a variety of reasons, and more often than not, the reason that a guy slides through the crack is because the guy he came to play for is not the guy he winds up playing for, which happened in his case. Yeah. And that's very difficult. And then you end up with a position coach that you don't exactly mesh with, and he has been so effusive in, in his praise of Al Washington, and Al Washington so effusive in his praise of Baron Browning. It's clear that he didn't match with Bill Davis. So I just am glad that, that Baron Browning, it's not about the fans, it's not about the team, it's about Baron Browning. There's a cricket here about Baron Browning getting to feel good about what he's doing. Because I think he, obviously, you talked for a while, he must, he feels good about it. Oh, yeah. He, and he's having as much fun or more fun than he's had in a long time, he said. You know, he's really enjoying playing football again. And he said he wouldn't mention any names. I mean, I don't want to give away too much what I end up writing about. But the, there were some conflicts last year. And, and really, even going back for that, I mean, the first two years, he just, there were things that he was he, not. He's not going to mention any names. He doesn't want to mention any names of his coach. But his coach was Bill Davis, whose name he doesn't want well, to mention. There but. are more than one coach, and I try to give him that. I'm like, hey, you know, you don't want to maybe have someone assume it's someone else. You know, he's talking about the defensive coordinator or the head coach, but you can probably read between the lines again, is what you're saying. But but he also one but, line says Bill, one line says Davis. <laughs> okay, but all right, but at the same time, again. It is unfortunate when those things happen, but every single one of us here, every single person listening to this podcast has had that scenario unfold at some job that they've had, some some relationship that they've had. You've got to make the best of it. And one thing that I think his relationship that Al Washington has tried to help him with is you also need to know how to handle those scenarios when they come up. What can you do to make that situation better? And I think that is what you're seeing in Baron Browning this season is his talent is able to come through because I think his mentality has changed and he's putting himself in position to use that talent better. Um, also, clearly, Greg Schiano had the linebackers doing weird things last year. So it's not only Bill Davis. Greg Schiano is certainly part of that, too. Um, last year, we didn't have a night game at home, from what I remember. There is a cricket in this building. There's also a podcast happening in the lobby of a, of a building. But um, now there could be three Michigan State, Wisconsin, and Penn State. I, I, I'm, I'm terrible at this stuff. I don't think that's going to happen. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm terrible at predicting. This is Nick Gardner. Would it be beneficial to have all three games be night games? And could they try to do another blackout? They're not going to do another blackout. That's a one-time-a-year thing with the alternate jersey. So I wouldn't look for another blackout. They do play a lot of night games. A lot of times they end up playing night games on the road because they're the draw. It's one of those things. It's like, why does Ohio State play night games on the road so much? And it's like, because the only time those other schools get to have a night game that anybody gives a hoot about is when they play Ohio State. <coughs> You're not going to play... You're not going to play Indiana, Minnesota, or Indiana, Maryland at night. It's got to be Indiana, Ohio State. So, like, when the Big Ten Network or somebody wants to, like, give another team a shot, then Ohio State ends up being, like, the 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 guest star, and, and, and it's not great for them, and they get home late. But then sometimes, like last year, they didn't get to have it at home because, like, all their games are big, so they end up doing the ones on the road. I don't think they're going to wind up with three night games total. But, like, Stephen, do you think – Urban talked about it so much. Urban loved night games so much um, from the recruiting standpoint. Ryan Day, of course, loves recruiting. He doesn't talk about it 
maybe as constantly as Urban Meyer did. Do you think Ohio State is better off with a bunch of home night games, or do you think like if they just have this one, that's good enough? No, I don't think so. I, asked, I remember asking Dwayne about it last year, like, do you like night games? Pretty much like the difference between pre- preparing for a game at noon versus preparing for a game at night. And like he, I'm pretty sure a lot of them agree with this. Like they'd rather the players would actually rather play at noon because then you're not waiting around all day. Because it's not like in high school where like you go to school all day and then pretty much just two hours before you start playing and you're waiting around all day. You're probably up at eight o'clock in the morning and then you're just waiting for twelve hours for a game to start. I don't think I think if, if at best they'll probably get one a year at home. They'll probably play you know one or two on the road every year. This is just going to be the pattern. I don't think you're going to see two and three night games at Ohio Stadium every year. They don't really need it. People are coming anyway. Ohio State hasn't scored less than 40 points under Ryan Day. Does that change this week from Tyler Shoemaker? Tyler's also asking if we're going to have a podcast meetup. I actually kind of wish we were. I don't think we can swing it now that it's Tuesday of game week. Uh, Probably not. Let's try to think. we could be a good time to do that. Bye week? Yeah. Well, I think it's the idea of like people who are coming to the game, if like we do a little tailgate thing. Uh, oh, like come the afternoon us. before night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or even like a three thirty game, it could be good if we did something like an eleven or noon or something. Let's put that on the radar to try to plan something for you guys. Um, Wisconsin week. I think that what if we made people good. prove their tech subscribers too? Like if you're only a podcast listener, you can hang out with us. But uh, if you're a tech subscriber, we'll give you food. Well, like you can send them a text that that acts as the ticket to get you into. Oh, yeah, because we could like do it in a secret spot, yeah. like a, in a, like a oh, behind yeah. a tree or something. Okay, <laughs> yeah. with you, and then come, you said behind a tree. Come to the secret text meetup. Um, do we think they score forty? Well, yeah. our, our 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 official game predictions will be out on Friday on our YouTube channel. But Stephen, yes, yes. Why? I think. Uh, Ohio State's offense is really good, but their defense is ama- is really, really good. And a lot of their points have come from the defense putting them, setting them up in positions where the offense doesn't have to, hasn't had a lot of 90-yard drives. Like the first drive of the game against Nebraska started on the 50-yard line because six plays into it, Jeff, Jeff Okuda gets a pick. And that's been a, lot, a thing all season where the defense forces a turnover or they force a three and out deep in – to opponent's territory where Ohio's get, getting the ball at their own 40-yard line or sometimes already in the opponent's territory. So, like, the offense has had these quick drives where they put up points. Tom in the 614, people are now sending in the text, their their area code at the front. I like it because they like to be called Tom in the 614. Is Master Teague playing better than J.K.? I think he has an extra gear that Zeke had, and it appeared that J.K. just missed on a few runs Saturday because he's not that fast. Nathan is already shaking his head. Steven's shaking his head. Nathan, you, you don't think he's better? No, I think Master Teague is really, really good. But And I think Master Teague is also showing some things that we had talked about when we brought up this conversation earlier in the uh, season on the podcast. There were some questions, well, we haven't really seen him do some of the things that J.K.'s asked to do. Haven't seen him have to be a receiver out of the backfield. Haven't seen him, and now he's starting to do those things. So I'm more than con- more convinced than ever that Ohio State is really good shape as far as it's number two running back and in good shape for him to potentially take over and be a lead guy next year. But um, I also thought... He had kind of a rough game against Miami of Ohio. Um, not an especially, I think that was a game where he kind of took a dip. It was either that or Indiana. Indiana was a game he had a huge game. So Miami of Ohio, I thought, um, a bit of a step back for him. I just don't see the consistency out of him that you see out of someone like J.K. Dobbins. And I don't see necessarily um, the explosiveness. I think there's some things that J.K. Dobbins is doing that we're taking for granted right now because he's doing them so consistently. Um, and I was someone who, coming into the season, was a little bit skeptical of that just based on the numbers. But he's he's getting it done. 
I think with anything that Master Chief does and with anything J.K. Dobbins does, you have to take into account that J.K. Dobbins is getting the first few carries. Like, I don't know, he had the first, like, 11 of, like, 18 one game. He is going against a fresh team at the start of a game, while Master T at times is getting them when they're already when a defensive line is already worn down a little bit. So you have to take that into account when you look at like how one is playing versus how the other one is playing. Do you think Nicholas Petit Frere not playing has anything to do with possibly redshirting him? That's from the two one six. No, he already redshirted, right? Well, I guess he didn't. I think he actually is a sophomore. I don't think he actually redshirted last year. I'm trying to. I, I don't. Think he's listed as a redshirt freshman. Is he? I believe so. Check the uh, check the old uh, roster there listing, but but regardless, he's a top ten national recruit. I mean, you're not thinking about a fifth year with this guy. If redshirt he, freshman. If he thought how many games did he play last year? If so, if he redshirted already, then obviously he played four. He played yeah, four, he so they got him right on the line last year. Yeah. Um, but that's just not that's not how you think with guys who are that good. With there's a different. Sometimes you bring in developmental linemen for sure. Um, and like Pat Elfline in year five was really good. Billy Price was a really highly rated guy um, who they actually wound up redshirting, and then he started as a redshirt freshman and, and played for four years. So, it, you know, it, but, but no. If they thought Nicholas Petit Frere was their best chance against Nebraska, they would have played Nicholas Petit Frere without a second thought, even if he hadn't redshirted last year. Um, you're trying to win, and you with a guy who's rated that high, you have to assume he's gone and he's not going to be here for a fifth year. So, um, again, I'm a little surprised it worked out this way, but we got Josh Allaby today, and, and he talked about it, and it you certainly just got the impression, even from talking to that guy, just the what how they built him up and got him ready for the week, that they just totally believed in that dude. And, and again, I was a little surprised that if NPF is the guy who was in the, you know barely lost the right guard the right tackle spot in preseason why wasn't he the guy but yeah. then you got a sense of how much they believed in Josh Allaby. Well I tried to ask that question too and I don't think I asked it the right way about so was Josh Allaby involved in that preseason competition for the right tackle he, job He and really wasn't I don't not, not yeah, really I didn't get that no. impression and so that does make you wonder if there's been some kind of regression. There's something along with Nicholas Petit Frere that they don't want him in that position yet. But I, I did the rewatch partially to kind of show, or I didn't do it to show this, but I noticed this as I started rewatching the game. It, it kind of dawned on me just how early on in that game they just repeatedly went to the right side. I mean, they were almost attacking the right side with Josh Allaby. I mean, they were following him. They were letting him protect Justin Fields on on rollouts to that side. He was he had a lot of responsibilities. I mean, they showed a lot of and it may again, it may just be how Nebraska's defense lines up and where they thought the weakness was, relative weakness of Nebraska's defense, but they were they were willing to go behind Josh Allaby repeatedly to start that game. That's how they built that lead. Part of that was also, like Ryan Day said this, like Alibi has the ability to play on both sides, right tackle and left tackle. And I know you asked about, like, is it harder to, you know, get used to playing the other one when you've been playing on the left side? But, like, they highlighted that he has the ability to play on both sides. And when like, you've already had a guy who's already got maybe a little bit more experience, I think they just kind of rolled with that guy for this week. I mean, and I think you have to be extra sure that you have a really good left tackle yeah. with Justin Fields. Yeah, yeah, and 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 then same thing. I mean, again, blindside and not as, but like even the thing about playing tackle, especially, is you have to have like one bad play can change your season. You let one guy in for a free rush on Justin Fields, and you don't know what's going to happen. So even the idea of like, I, I would understand the idea of like, well, like we're ninety percent sure that NPF is ready, but 
You know Alabies, right? Like you know Alabi. Like, you know, of course that's always a consideration, but just where they are with the quarterback situation right now and what they think this team can be and, and obviously how big of a drop-off it would be the second-team quarterback, I think it's I think it's even more imperative and it would lean you even more um, towards a veteran at that spot. So, like, I'm not – I don't think you should be panicked about NPF. I don't think he's – it's not a redshirt consideration at all. You know, bro, both Brandon Bowen and Josh Allaby are fifth-year seniors, so, like, NPF is absolutely in, jo- in line for that job um, in his third year in the program next year, which, again, is there have been plenty of really good offensive linemen who have come through here and not started. Jamarco Jones sat for two years. Uh, and then took over at the start as a starting left tackle as a junior and a senior and had a great career. So like that, that wouldn't be like off schedule for him. Um, but I thought it was like a twenty percent eyebrow raise. Well, and actually, if even if Petit Frere hadn't um, taken that red shirt already, he would not be eligible to take one at this point this year. Because even though he hasn't started and didn't start, he's played in every game. The backup offensive line has played in every game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they would have right. They would have had to right not play him at all in week five right. to start that red trick and to talk. Um, is there any word that this team is peaking too early from the six one four? No, I think they've looked better every week so far. So that's not necessarily peaking. That's just kind of getting better week by week, which is what teams want to do. Yeah, I would agree with that. It hasn't been like they came out and won 80 to nothing in week one, and then it's been slowly tapering down. I feel like every week, maybe with the exception of Miami of Ohio, but every week you think it's going to be a bigger challenge, and they look even better. So that's what's going to be interesting to me is how, again, I think this week is a different kind of challenge, and then you start getting into having to go at, Wisconsin, go at Northwestern, play Wisconsin at home. There does seem to – there's going to be some ups and downs as far as the schedule, but do they keep on this kind of same trajectory? From B. May in the 614, is there something to be said for a new head voice in the locker room? Just thinking about how Jim Trestle won, won the national title in year two, Urban goes undefeated in year one, then the title in year two. Um, Actually, a title in year three. Ryan Day having a hot start early. There's differing levels of talents in these cases, but by and large, the bulk of the team is the same guys from the previous regime. If there's an initial spike in results, does the messaging from the head coach get stale? Also, Earl Bruce like was great in year one, taking over for Woody. Um, I get it, and I have already had my rant about like, you know, why why did we have to think that there was something wrong before? I think what that more says is that whenever just the way the coaching changes have happened with Ohio State, even the Cooper to Trestle change, which is the most, um, which is the only truly legitimate, like that coach wasn't good enough anymore. We're making a change because Woody to Earl wasn't that. Um, Earl to Cooper was that to an extent, but like Earl's problem was he was going nine and three. It wasn't like he was going six and six. Like Earl was still really good, and he was beating Michigan too. Like it was. That was actually a little nuts. Um, Coop, they needed to change because he was the last couple of years of Coop weren't as good, and obviously the Michigan thing. But like Trestle, it wasn't performance that ended Trestle, and it wasn't performance that ended Urban. So I think it's more about that that they've never truly fallen in a hole. That um, when the new coaches come in, he's been able to do that right away. And so it's like I think in life, of course, I mean when you get a different voice, it changes a little bit. But I, but like I'm also not so sure that with this team the way it is, again, does anybody think that if you gave Urban Meyer, Justin Fields, and this defense and you changed the defensive coaching staff that like they wouldn't be doing this? That like Urban Meyer would somehow be holding them back? No, it would just if look... If Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator still? No. I think it would just look different. I don't think you'd have under center stuff going on, but a lot of the read option stuff, like there would be more emphasis on that. But, I mean, like, what, if, what if Ryan Day said, I really think we should be doing some under center stuff? 
Well, but I think it goes back. We had this conversation last week, and I think again it goes back to what decisions did Urban would Urban Meyer, in theory, have made regarding his defensive staff? Yeah. So it's just. I mean, it's just. It's. It's hard. Um, I get it. I, and I do think sometimes. I mean, you see it like in Major League Baseball all the time. You just need to change the voice. But those guys are together for 162 games. I mean, sometimes that really is true. I don't. I don't think that was it. I think. I think once it's the fact that like, if Ryan Day was ready for this and Justin Fields was ready for this, which they clearly are, there are just a lot of other things in place here. And there's a story that I want to do over the next month or so as I pull this together that will make an obvious point, um, but one that I think is is worth making in the way that I'm going to make it. So. That's a story tease. Uh, let's see. Do you think Fields, this is from the 202, do you think Fields will stay as poised and hold the ball so long against a much better front seven? Like, do we think that aspect of this is going to be a much different, like, D'Antonio's good. Like, they'll have something dialed up, and they do, I mean, Joe Bacci, Joe Bacci, Joe Bacci, Joe Bacci, Joe Bacci, I think it is. Joe Bacci is really good. He's one of the best linebackers in the Big Ten. Willikis is one of the best defensive ends in the Big Ten. There's four great defensive ends in the Big Ten, right? There's the A.J. Esperanza guy from Iowa. Yeah. There's Willikis. There's the Artur Matos Gross from Penn State and Chase. I'm not letting you put Chase in that same category. Well, I mean, I think that's – I mean, there's Chase and then the next there three. But I think there's four legit, like, yeah. really, really intense dudes yeah. um, who can change a game, which is good for the Big Ten to have that many talented guys. Did Justin Fields talk about this today? Did Justin Fields talk about, like, the, the thing from Willikis about – I don't know. Did he? I can't remember. No, I wasn't in there. Yeah, what did he say? You guys are supposed to ask about it on my behalf, though. No, no I asked about the sack thing. Okay. okay I asked good. about the sacks and holding well, the ball too long. It kind of leads into what he's talking about here. Yeah, right. so I did – oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I did your thing for you. I asked Justin Fields about <laughs> I asked well, – like, I'm going to bring it up because it literally answers the question that our customer is asking. Yeah, no. Not our, not our customer. That sounds dismissive. Well, I mean, I they're did, buying something, so yeah. Our client. Our, technically, our, they are our customer. Our, yes. Our pal. Yes. Our friend. I, I did – Our $4 friend. Our $4 friend. <laughs> well, it's the only them. way I can get friends. They, yeah. I do think uh, – I asked Justin Fields about that, like if having a belief in your offensive line has an effect on you. And he said it does let you stay in the pocket and only look at the receivers down the field and not be worried about like who's coming from my backside that I don't see because I'm worried about my stinky tackle. So he said he does have that confidence. And he did think um, that a couple of the sacks this year were on him, that he, he held it too long and he's got to get rid of it, that – you know, no one's going to go through a season without being sacked. I mean, I'll, again, we've talked about this before, the big play sack interception balance. I mean, you you got to give something somewhere. You can't make big plays and also never throw picks and never get sacked. So I think the best part of that equation is almost never throw picks, still get some big plays, and then the result is, well, of course you get sacked sometimes. Yeah. So I, I think um, that's been reasonable but I don't know. I mean, I guess. I mean, Nebraska didn't do it. I guess Michigan State certainly could be the more the most difficult front seven test so far. Well, they will be, I think. Um, I've got some numbers to back that up. Uh, Michigan State, 3.2 sacks per game, which only ranks fifth in the Big Ten. But they're doing it the same way Ohio State has done it in a lot of ways. They lead the nation in line yards, as according to Football Outsiders. So that's basically a measure of the yards that a offense – yards allowed by a defensive line – or large yards allowed by defense within the first. I think it's zero to three, and then four to eight. There's different categories, but like stopping people short, stopping people after short gains, and then um, and then they're also really high, really close second to Ohio State 
in stuff rate, which I talked about last week, and is a percentage of the running back carries stopped at or near the line of scrimmage. So they're a really tough team to run against, and that sets you up to potentially have um, Willikas, um, Raquan Williams, some of these other guys coming at you on later possessions. So I, I think it could be a week where Ohio State faces more challenges, that Justin Fields faces more pressure, but I also think that Ohio State may just be able to run the ball better against Michigan State than any team that they've seen so far, and that's going to be a factor, too. That could take them out of some of these precarious possessions, second and third down. Big recruiting weekend from the three two one. I know Julian Fleming said he's going to be here. Uh, do you anticipate any commitments this weekend? Poss- possibly. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to for sure. Obviously, you never. But Tyler Barron from Knoxville, Tennessee is coming. He's a defensive end who's you know, really high on Ohio State right now. And then Kevontae Bradford, that's the running back who is coming. Those are the two guys coming on official visits for this weekend, so expecting to be there. Yes, Julian Fleming is coming. Legend Cavazos is coming. Cavazos, right? Legend Cavazos. Cavazos is coming. C.J. Stroud may be coming. I think, like, obviously, like, he's teasing things on Twitter, but, like, that's the other quarterback that they're going over that they could add to this class as well. Paris told me the last home game to just expect him at every game at this point. They have nothing better to do on a Saturday, and it's a two-hour drive. His coach told me that. He said he just couldn't get Darion Henry out of the bed. So if he can get him out of bed, he'll probably be there too. Ben Christman is probably going to be here. There's another Ohio guy that's been here. Josh Fryer has been at every game so far. I expect him to be here. So a lot of the guys that who have been to most of the home games expect him to be here, but guys who aren't, haven't been here, Fleming, Cavazzo, C.J. Stroud, Tyler Barron, Cavantre Bradford, expect those guys to be in attendance. So listen, we'll get into this more at some point. This we'll... So next week's a bye week. Jack it's, Sawyer as well, 2021 guy. It's probably worth us maybe digging in on some recruiting stuff next week in the bye week. Um, there's definitely some interesting stuff happened with the idea of maybe bringing in a second quarterback in this 2020 class. Jack Miller felt the need to put on social media um, that he's not going anywhere. His father tweeted the same thing. Um, they are looking at a second guy. It's the idea of like you want four guys in the room. I get that. Um, it's intriguing. Again, I mean, it's you know we don't know what's happening in the heads of these guys. I will just tell you they have had a lot of decommitments from quarterbacks um, in the past couple years. And the guy they have had guys that you thought was their guy for a year, and then it turned out not to be their guy. Like Emory Jones, for instance. Um, so. Danny Clark. I'm actually looking at some stuff now that just is like making me shake my head about Danny Clark. Not a, not from Danny Clark's standpoint, but just sort of like how Ohio State sort of did that kid wrong in a lot of ways. Dewan Mathis. Uh, Dewan Mathis. Yeah. I mean, it is it is remarkable. Like, you know, you could go back and be like, oh, yeah, well, this, you know, the time spent writing and talking about kids who you were talking – assuming was going to be an Ohio State quarterback in the future who then didn't wind up here. So – Keep that in mind. It, that's, we're not saying anything about Jack Miller, but it's just the nature of the beast. And Ryan Day, when he was asked about this um, by Ari today, like just the idea of like the second quarterback and what you got to do, he just went back to the same thing, which is the issue with everything with quarterbacks in college football these days. It's just like it's crazy. So it's like whether it's the portal, whether it's decommitments before signing day, like you you constantly almost have to have like another option ready because. Only one kid can play, and all of a sudden something could happen. So um, I think it is a dangerous game sometimes. Here's the thing. When you start talking about a second quarterback in a class, um, I, I usually that's an indication of something because usually it doesn't turn out 
at a place like this that it's just like, oh, yeah, we took two quarterbacks and both are completely happy and everything is perfectly fine. And that, like, that's what happens on signing day. That is not usually how it goes. Even when they took, like, Joe Burrow as a second quarterback um, the year he came, it's like the first quarterback was Torrance Gibson, who, like, they actually never intended to play a quarterback. So he wasn't. The, so it's like if you were, like, with Joe Burrow, it's like, oh, they're taking a second. It's like, well, actually, they're taking a first because they're moving that guy to receiver. So. There's a lot of balancing of um, goals and realities and things that happen. So Jack Miller, again, has reaffirmed his commitment, but um, they're off kilter. That's the other thing. They're, with all the transfers, they're off schedule with the quarterback recruiting, and they would like to get back on a little bit. So... Um, you know, if, if they only get one quarterback next year, then they still are only at two scholarship quarterbacks that, that they intended to have here. That You know, Chug and, and Gutter Hoke are both sort of like necessity guys, not necessarily plan guys. So I think having two quarterbacks in 2020 and then having Kyle McCord come in 2021 helps you get back on a schedule where they want four good dudes in the room. Just like when you look back and they had and, and Ryan Day mentioned it again today, and he'll mention it until the end of time. They had JT Barrett, Dwayne Haskins, Joe Burrow, and Tate Martell in the same room. So, like, to get back to that kind of room, they've got to take two kids in 2020 to start building that up because they, they don't have anybody in any of these previous classes. They ended up, because they lost Juan Mathis and Emory Jones, they basically lost, like, two quarterbacks, two classes worth of quarterbacks at the same time while they were getting Justin Fields. So the end result is they're off-kilter. But again, it's hard to have two really good quarterbacks in the same class. So when they start talking about a second quarterback, I just think you have to be on a little bit of an alert. So I think we can assume that everything's going to be hunky-dory and everybody will be perfectly happy. But we will certainly uh, continue to watch that. And I suggest you continue to watch it, too. What happened at the weekly Big Ten Coaches Teleconference from the 937? No reporters got on it, so they bagged it. I would have been on there every Monday morning if they had kept it going. I used to be, every week I would get on the basketball one. I was there for all two hours every Monday morning. Even, even if I was on the road, I was calling in. It was one of, it, I thought it was always a good tool for us to do some, some interesting reporting because you don't get to talk to every coach in the conference every week. You have to, your schedules don't really sync up that way. And it was always a good way to, to talk about trend stories. It was a good way to talk about the opponent. You, you could, it's easy to get on there and ask questions of Mark D'Antonio going into this week. So I always like to use it. Um, during basketball, it was always fun to wait till the end and hear what Tim Miles had to say, what kind of craziness he would spout off. Um, cause he knew. There were like two people still on the call waiting to hear him talk about Nebraska, and he always usually had something else to, to talk about. And um, I, I wish they still had it. I mean, the one thing is, back when they started it, everybody didn't have such easy access to the coverage of the other team like they do now. That yeah. it's like before, um, you sort of had to. It was like if you were an Ohio State fan and you wanted to know about Michigan State, then you sort of needed to read your Ohio State writer on Michigan State. Now you can just Google Michigan State and find out everything you need to find out. Or like you know, Nathan did a Q and A with the Nebraska beat writer last week, and we'll do that other times during the course of this year when it's worthwhile. So I get I get why they didn't do it. I mean, it was always fun. Like you could tell it'd be like um, you know somebody would be on asking every coach like, would you ever wear a black belt with brown shoes? And it's like you know, oh here comes. Uh, P.J. Fleck, hey, this is uh, Joe Smith from the uh, the Albuquerque Tribune. Coach, would you ever wear a black belt with brown shoes? And it's like they ask like nine coaches the same thing. It's like, oh, someone's doing a story about black belt and brown shoes. So it's like 
it was a lot of that, which if you were doing that story, again, could be valuable. But like just sometimes in terms of like information, um, I think it, it lost its because like you can go on it. You can go on and listen to like the Michigan State News Conference or read the transcript and get like an hour and a half worth of Mark Antonio. You don't necessarily need 10 minutes of Mark Antonio. Anyway, Nathan would have done well on it. I bagged it for the last 10 years because I'm lazy. So that's just one more difference between me. And Nathan, um, do you think Dwayne Haskins, I love questions like this, and no disrespect, do you think Dwayne Haskins is reconsidering his decision to jump to the NFL early? The money is nice, but he's on a team with zero hope, and he sees his teammates that he left behind are having fun and dominating. That's from RJ in the 513. And the answer is no. No. No money. Money is good. It's a lot of money. Money. The the earlier you sign your first contract, the earlier you get to sign your second contract. And that's where the real money is. So, I mean, like, great for everybody who does come back and whatever, like, great. I mean, I he is happy and excited for Justin Fields and everybody else. There's he nothing is not, he could have proven this year as a, from a football standpoint. No. There's nothing. He's a first-round draft pick. And on draft day, we literally we antagonized the team in the top ten because they didn't draft him. Well, and he only would have gone lower. Yeah. Because already Joe Banner, who used to be the, uh, the guy who ran the Browns and ran the Eagles before that, was on Twitter this week saying like all the people who uh, who who were back at Haskins are are wrong now. He knows a bunch of teams who had third round grades on him, and nobody traded up for him. And like this is what you're seeing. Like Haskins wasn't ready and everything. So that like that they're nitpicking him after he left. If he would have come back, I think he would have gotten nitpicked into the second round. And so the the thing that you guys always have to understand is you gotta go, you gotta go. Sometimes it's not even that like you can't help yourself by staying; it's that you hurt yourself mm-hmm. by staying. And sometimes when you flash and you show your potential, but you don't stick around for everyone to pick apart your flaws, you actually have more draft value. And the other thing is, like, of course you love your Buckeyes and you care about your Buckeyes every year. Like, it is a part of these guys' lives, and they love it when they're retired and they come back. Dwayne Haskins is not sitting in his mansion in D.C. watching Ohio State on Saturday and saying, Man, I don't believe I wish I was there. I I bet he's got a really sweet condo. Yeah, I think, like, I do not think he has a mansion. Definitely a mansion. No, I think, like, his parents raised him to be smarter than to buy a mansion when your first NFL contract. Also, your first NFL contract, do you know what D.C., like, real estate prices go for? I don't think he can afford a mansion yet. But more importantly, I just don't think that like that would be a smart investment for him. I'll tweet as an athlete at 21 years old. Dwayne, a house. Do you have a mansion? He'll reply. All right, look for that. If you follow Dwayne Haskins on Twitter, on Twitter, look for my question about his mansion. And if he does have a mansion, he will invite me to visit it. Uh, Hunter Roberts. Okay. <laughs> We're just like that. Dwayne and I are like that. Because you heard you're going to be a janitor at Disney World in a couple of years, yeah. and he wants you to come clean it. Yeah. I would definitely, if I could get a job cleaning Dwayne Haskins' mansion, I would be out of here in two seconds. Good luck with the podcast, fellas. Um, assuming Ohio State makes the playoff, who do you think is the worst matchup for the Buckeyes, and who is the most favorable for the Buckeyes? That's from Hunter Roberts. And my answer is, I don't know, because I don't watch other teams. Yeah. I, like the, the, Again, it's like the easy answer is, I'm trying to think like... Oklahoma, maybe. Because I think I think Ohio State's defense is good enough to at least like temper some of the the explosiveness of its offense, but I don't know if Oklahoma's defense can keep up with Ohio State's offense. You think that's the best matchup for him? Yeah, Oklahoma. I think the most interesting is Alabama, just because to see those receivers go up against. I want to see Judy go up against Okuda. 
I do think the weird thing about what Ohio State Alabama is that they played Alabama the year that Ohio that Alabama's quarterback was a linebacker. Yeah. So like that is kind of a weird thing, and it's not like a, I mean the whole point with Alabama is that they didn't have great quarterbacks before, and they still managed to win. And but then Hurts and Tua Tonga Vailoa are are that next level where I'm like, well, now Bama has a quarterback. Um, so I think for Ohio State to face Bama in the now Bama has a quarterback era would be interesting. Alabama also. Again, the, the thing that is coming through for Ohio State is their five stars are leading this team right now. And for uh, Alabama's had a couple issues there, but they had a couple five stars who have left, some five stars who were injured. Um, I think Ohio State's talent probably could match up with anybody right now. I, I'd be really interesting to see Trevor Lawrence go against the secondary. I mean, the, the bottom line is that I don't think there's a bad matchup. When you're balanced, and again, go back, the committee loves this, and I think it's actually a fault of the committee. I don't know why the committee should like a team that wins – 31-21 any better than they like a team that wins 81-61 or they like a team that wins 7-0. Like if you win and you can be convincing winning 7-0 because like literally the, no, the other team was never going to score and you can be convincing winning 81-61 because literally no they matter how many points you. you gave up, they cannot stop you. So like why balance matters I think is weird in my opinion, but balance does matter to the committee, but I think Ohio State's balanced. So it's like in terms of like bad matchup, because that does matter for matchups. Well, again, weaknesses, balance. I think I don't know that there would be a bad matchup because why? there's not a quarterback they'd be afraid of. Chase Young is still rushing him, and Jeffrey Okuda is still in coverage no matter who the quarterback is. So I don't think there is a bad matchup. Which is why but, balance matters, I think. Because if you're giving up, if, you're scoring, if it's 81 to 61, the idea is – Know that like you have it, you can't stop anybody from scoring, but nobody has been able to stop you from scoring. So what happens when you play a team who can stop you from scoring, but you can't stop a team from scoring, and vice versa? What if you can't score, but your defense can get stops? What happens if you play a defense, your defense can't stop? I mean, offense, your defense can't stop. The, the one, and I agree with that. And I think that the one team out there right now that I feel like is executing offense and defense at about the same level that Ohio State is, and I know I'm taking a lot of crap because I voted them, ahead of Ohio State this week from the local people. But Georgia is doing a really good job on both sides of the ball. They were my pick before the year to win the national championship, and I think that that is a team that could give Ohio State some problems. However, then you've got an added wrinkle there of the whole Justin Fields relationship, and if, if that if that uh, matchup were to evolve, you know, he's got to take a bunch of questions about going back there to play them, but he also has to – he probably is going to have some of that extra motivation to go back there and then prove a team wrong. We have a Gene Smith uh, question about his comments about the, the – the He just walked out the building too. Oh, did he? Yeah. We should have him come over um, about the pay-to-play, whatever stuff that's going on. Uh, we'll get to that at the end of this podcast. I have a take that you'll want to hear, but we'll get to it at the end. Um, is it time to start thinking of Justin Fields as a legitimate Heisman front runner? And so that's a question from the 703. I think front runner is an interesting – makes the question more interesting because like candidate, of course – He's absolutely a legitimate Heisman candidate. Front runner, I have a little more of an issue with. Yeah, I, I would say no, just because he doesn't come into the season with the name recognition that Tua and Trevor Lawrence, Jalen Hurts, players, Jalen Hurts. I mean, the, all these guys came in with people who already thought, well, that's who I'm putting on my ballot. Yeah. So obviously, we do one every weekend. Like Jalen Hurts has been number one the last two weeks. I think he should be number one. He's the front runner, like period. The way he's playing, the narrative around it, he's number one. He's the front runner of this thing. I think with Justin Fields, he's been great. I think he should be in the running to be a finalist to go to New York at the end of the season. But 
he's also, I think, as great as he's been, you can make the case for some other guys on Ohio State's team. I think J.K. You you can pop maybe make a case for J.K. Dobbins on offense and uh, defensive guys aren't going to win, but like in some weird world where defensive guys are actually had a fair shot at it, Chase Young is probably on that list. So I don't know with a lot of the other Heisman candidates how many other guys on their team where you could make a legitimate case for in a world where it's a it's a even race for the Heisman Trophy. Yeah, that's that's where I come back to each week too. Is like if I hate, I'm not going to do this rant all year, but like the Heisman Trophy is supposed to be the best player in college football. Ohio State's two best football players are Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, and we don't talk about them in terms of whether they're up for the award of the best. It's, it's a yeah. stupid award. Yeah. Yeah. It's a stupid award. So it's, like the, it's the Miss America pageant. Nobody cares. It's meaningless. It's stupid. I mean, people do care. I people mean, care about it more than they care I about mean, Miss the, America. The thing I, the thing it's I antiquated say, and dumb. It's also the most important award in American sports. And it doesn't get treated like it. But 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 No, like, what I mean as far as like how they like actually evaluate who should win the award, because... It, like he just said, it becomes a beauty pageant for a woman okay, that so maybe stop, shouldn't okay, be so, so, like, it's not a beauty pageant. They give it to quarterbacks all the time. The quarterback is a million times out of a million the most important player yeah. in football. They, it is not the best player award. It is definitely not. It is the... But that's how it's treated. What do you mean? That I think that's how that's that's yeah. how it's seen in by who in just the general public. I think no. I, I think, think the think way it's true. presented as if like it's the best player in college football when we all when like I think we all but receive but if it. We if we perceive it as it's not for the best player in college football, it's for like the best big time offensive player for a really good team. Isn't that how everybody else perceives it too? Right. So I'm saying yeah, as the way we, so. we 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 all perceive whether you're a fan, whether you're a media person or not, we all perceive it to be like the best offensive like. Player was usually a quarterback, or for Wisconsin, it's Jonathan Taylor. The way it sometimes can be presented can like suggest that this is the best player in college football. Presented by who or to who? The Heisman's the Heisman. That's what I think. The Heisman, I to me, it's like, well, who's the? What's the Heisman? It's the Heisman, and I think I think people know what that means. It's not the MVP award. It's not the best player award. Yeah. It is the Heisman. It is the be on the commercial and live in the house. With Eddie George and Tim Tebow award, and I and I, of I'm, course it's not going to go to somebody who doesn't play for one of the top ten teams, and it's not going to go to a guy who doesn't have huge stats. Uh-huh. So that basically ensures it has to be an offensive guy, but it's an offensive sport. Quarterback is the most important position in any sport. That is where we've trended. It is the most influential. It has the most direct effect on winning. So like Chase Young. Is Ohio State's best player? I don't think he has the most direct effect on winning. I think Justin Fields does. The by and de- I think people understand. By definition, read me. A de- I live in the world, brother. That's fine. But by definition, it says the Heisman Memorial Trophy is awarded annually to the most outstanding player in NCAA football. It doesn't say best. It says most fine. outstanding. The quarterback doesn't always have to be the most outstanding football okay, player so in the country. I, I get what you guys are saying. Like, it's not what the deal is. We, I know. Which we know. I would but agree I'll, with you that that's not what it is. But do you think that's what it should be? You think the Heisman, you think if Quentin Nelson is the best player in college football, Yes. Best, best at his job. Yes. He's dominating. He knocks defensive tackles on his butt all the time. Yes. You think a Notre Dame guard should go and win the most famous award in American of sports? Of course, because it would, it would, that would be, it would be, it would be a great thing for the appreciation of the sport in this country because it would, it would, it would indicate an elevated appreciation of this sport. 
Yeah, I, just think, I disagree with no, that. I said, I think that like when Charles Woodson won it, it was a wow. How good did he have to be? Yeah, yeah. To but, what did he have to, but what over, did he have to do to win the right, Heisman? He over, had to go play offense, right? That was, what was punts. that was what was BS about that award. It wasn't good enough right. that he could just be a defensive, an incredible defensive back. He had to go exactly. Catch but passes a quarterback for just has no to reason. play quarterback. The most important. Yeah, okay, fine. Okay, when a running back. Comes all you have, running all backs they have to win. Is win. They don't win it anymore. Okay, but when they have, all they have When's to do is When's the last run time a running ball? back won it? A running back might never win it again. A running back at this point basically has as much chance as an offensive guard or a defensive end. It's a quarterback. Uh, no, award. It's, it, there's still more likely that a running back would win than either of those two. When's, look it up. When's the last time a running back win? Has, was Mark Ingram the last running back? I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure he was the last yeah, guy. I'm t- I felt like, I don't, but I don't have a, like, I don't have a problem with it. Like, because first of all, like, I get that Chase Young is awesome and I agree he's awesome. There's not like there's a shortage of great quarterbacks to give it to this year. Hurts or Tua or Fields or Jake Fromm or Trevor Lawrence is going to win it or Joe Burrow. Those are the six guys okay. who are going to win it. I don't think there's anything wrong with I'm that. Not, uh, I am not arguing that this is what the award is and we should just, like, get over it. What I am saying is the way it is presented, is it, it can, by definition, doesn't fit the way that we all know – of what we all know it to be. That's all I'm saying. Things evolve. It's not really evolving. Like, it's always been, like, the quarterbacks are winning this award. No, it isn't. Jay Burwanger wasn't a quarterback. No, before – This you, millennium. No, well, exactly. It evolved in the current day – when quarterbacks are by far the most important influential player, it has evolved into a quarterback award. It certainly wasn't always a quarterback award, but I think that's fine because I do think the Heisman is the Heisman. And I think we get in trouble a lot like with Major League Baseball or stuff. You know what's weird to me is that the NFL does not have an award because they kind of have like two MVP awards. It's not as big of a deal. I'm shocked that like the NFL MVP, I know they go by the AP vote, I guess. It's like 50 AP voters get the vote. But you don't have a thing like it. always feels more important to me like who the NBA MVP is or who the Major League Baseball MVP is or who the Heisman it's thing is. not as many people voting on than, than the NFL MVP. They should change the name. I think the best thing college football has is that it's not called. It's called a thing. And not just the all. And it has a statue. Okay. You get this statue and it's called this. And it is its own thing. And when you are a Heisman winner... You embody the Heismanness of the award, which is not exactly the same thing as best player or most valuable player. It is the Heisman. And I know what that is. If you disagree what it is, but I think if you ask yourself, what does it really take to win the Heisman? You would know exactly what it takes. Hype, big time program, be on TV. Yeah, things that don't actually stats. have anything to do with you winning football games. I mean, no, no but, a- but, but, but. But that's not true. Are you saying that is true? No. Hype? No, but, but, but the person saying, who wins it obviously helps his team win football. Are you saying that Certainly, other sports don't have that same type of criteria? I'm saying most other sports, it's most valuable player. No, but yeah, but like the NBA, like it's hype. Like there's a hype around that. Like there's narrative. No, regardless no, of what sport. Way, though. Yeah, it's, there's narrative. Like uh, with these type of sports, uh, with these type of awards, narrative matters. So do you, or do you have a problem with the way the MVP is handed out in the NBA? Yeah, I do. But like, I'm not. So who do you think, like, you want Quentin Nelson to win the NBA? Like, no, what do you want? I, I, the guy who, like, rebounds and block shots to win it? I don't think it's, like, the most valuable player gets it every year. Because if it was, LeBron James would have, like, seven in a row. Because they go by stats and how good your right. team is, is like, which is the same as the Heisman. I'm not like I. So, so you, we have a problem with the definition of every award in sports. Yeah, I do. No, no, yeah, because I, in I other do. sports they have Best, they go by yeah. different criteria, and it's hard to compare some a sport like maybe baseball to a sport like football because in football you have a lot of very 
d- jobs right. that are recorded and, and evaluated in different ways than there is in baseball, where you have basically two jobs. Yeah, right. But I'm saying that if, if, if no pitcher could ever be the MVP in baseball, or no shortstop could ever be the MVP in baseball, or it only ever went to shortstops and center fielders, it never went to a left fielder or a first baseman, it would be ludicrous. It would be incredibly stupid. And I feel the same way about the Heisman. I feel like I, I just wish that there was a greater appreciation for all of football that was mixed into the Heisman. I wish it wasn't. I do think it's more of a beauty pageant. I think it's more of, you know, these are the, you know, we've anointed this position and that's the one that's going to get all this attention. We've anointed the most important position. Right? You don't dispute that. That quarterback is the most important position. I think in general, quarterback is the most important position, yes. I voted for uh, Manti Teo the year. Really? That Johnny won. Really? And he finished second. Yeah. Because I thought he was the best player on the best part of the team that was what made Notre Dame good. And that... If Notre Dame's defense wasn't great, they wouldn't have been in the national title game. Texas A&M wasn't in the national title game. Notre Dame was, and the reason they were there was because of their defense, and the reason their defense was good was because of him, even if he had a fake girlfriend. I didn't care about that. Um, so, like, I'm open to that, but, I mean, I don't think – would you say there have been recent Heisman winners who have been, like, undeserving? We don't really know because you don't ever actually get to compare the full – um, the full scope of college football. It's really just those few players who, usually by this time of the year, it's already been decided who your actual candidates are. I would I, I would have to go back and look at like who the other finalists because Lamar Jackson had no cho- had no chance of winning a national championship, but like he was clearly the best player in college football, and he won. Right. So like so that was I, good. Right. I mean, that's, I'm just just an example there. Like that's I was a good example of getting it right. Okay. Yeah, so I just yeah. Good I argument. Just, I just think like I would have to go back through and look at like who, like I think uh, Vince Young probably should. That's a quarterback. I, mean, I think he should have won it over Reggie Bush, and then he wouldn't prove that in the national championship a couple weeks later. Hmm. And I bet you Vince Young would win it over Reggie Bush today, as it's evolved into a quarterback award. Okay. Then. I'm not. This, all I'm saying is make sure the definition fits the way the, act, the award actually gets handed out. That's all I'm saying. I'm not. I'm disagreeing with any of like who won. My, uh, my uh, three-course minor in uh, college, uh, we had to have one, and I was avoiding uh, all science and math. And I remind my wife of this, and I'll throw it in her face sometimes, and she'll punch me in the neck, is, uh, was linguistics. And it was about the evolution, purpose of the evolution of language. And so, like, I know what it says, but also I'm one of these guys, like, I'm not super wound up about stuff that was like written like 200 years ago, and it's like, well, it says it right there. They wrote it down 200 years ago, and it's like, uh, yeah, things have changed. So like, I know what they wrote down. Okay, in the fine. Thing. So like, I don't care. And then, okay, if it said valuable, then it would 100 percent fall in line. I, I just said I, think. I don't care. And that's fine. What it says because okay. I know what it is. Okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna let what. I, no disrespect to Jay Jay Burwanger. Um, <laughs> Who, who could have played in the NFL and decided to be a truck driver instead, but or something. Um, let's see. Do you guys think there is much more in the playbook that we haven't seen simply because we haven't had to use it? I'm sure there is some, but I think there's a lot and will be very beneficial when we get into a dogfight down the road. Stuff for Ruckert, et cetera, from the 740. Justin Fields did make like a passing reference today to like how, how big the playbook is, didn't he? Oh, you weren't there. He was not there. He made a passing reference to like you know, there's a lot of stuff in there, and again, I, you know, people have made references before, like this is a complicated playbook. Do you feel like just by watching them, do you feel like, yeah, I feel like there's more there? They're holding back a little bit. 
Yeah, I think so. And I, I'm pretty sure somebody asked Ryan Day that after one of the games. Are there, are there things that he's still saving? And so, yeah, I think there's always going to be some things there that we haven't seen yet just because, like, there's no reason to pull that out against a Florida Atlantic or a Miami or a Nebraska when, like, you may need that when you play Wisconsin or Michigan. Yeah, I mean, we haven't seen this team. I mean, every team has some of these, you know, I mean, just to get even as, as weird as trick plays and stuff, every team has practiced those. Every team has those in their bag, and they haven't had any reason to use anything like that. We haven't even really seen a bunch of, like, kind of clever misdirection things. I'm sure this team has some of that stuff. And I I do think it's interesting that he mentioned the tight ends. I think that does seem to be one area where as much as they talked up the tight ends in the preseason and mm-hmm. in the spring and in the winter, I mean, they were this, this conversation of how great the tight ends were. And they're helping in other ways. They're helping with the run blocking. I'm not saying that. But it just seems like that I am a little surprised that they haven't been used more than they have as far as being targeted. And maybe that is something you'd see going forward. But I think that's more maybe game plan dependent than it is a matter of holding it back for not wanting to give away information. They're also only playing two and a half quarters per game. So, like, yeah. there's a whole quarter and a half of, like, plays and things that we just haven't seen because they haven't had to use them. And I don't think they're going to go to the I formation like Nebraska did. No, no but I was going to say the one thing I think they could do, and somebody asked, like, uh, I can't uh, – well, I answered the question. I apologize for not shouting out your area code. Um but I think if they really needed it, they could just say, like, they could zone read their way down the field with Dobbins and, yeah. and Fields. And, and if they felt like whatever, it's windy, it's raining, mm-hmm. there's some great pass rush that they can't get a, get a throw off, the, the secondary they're playing is awesome. I think they could lean on that much, much harder than they have so far, like, if they needed to. Like, that's in their back pocket as well. Someone asked previously, like, what what is the game plan? And somebody actually asked Justin Fields this today. What is your weakness? Like, what would you guys say is the game plan? If you were a defensive coordinator, generally, you know, we don't have to get into all the X's and O's, but, like, what would you want to do to stop Ohio State? I think it, I really kind of am seeing the only way to maybe do this is if you can find a team that can really create a three-man rush or is going to actually get some real penetration with only three guys, and then you can do some things in coverage. But I think right now you have to bring too many guys to get that kind of pressure, and that's leaving escape routes for Justin Fields, or it's leaving him um, you know, opportunities with really good receivers downfield. I think a combination of like keeping the offense off the field as long as possible, so like not doing what Nebraska did and turning the ball over six games, that, I think huge, if yeah. you can create – like you don't, I don't think tempoing this team is going to – like. There's talent behind the talent. So, like, you know, getting Chase Young or Jeff Okuda t- or Malik Harrison tired isn't the plan. You slow it, slow down. Like, you hold half possessions where maybe Ohio State doesn't have a 75 snap game because you had the ball for so long. And then offensively, I mean, Justin Fields has been really great out throwing outside of the pocket. Maybe contain him or in like his, the first touchdown came because like, there was nothing open downfield. He made a play. Like, take away one of his options here. Make make him like sit in that pocket. The uh, I think they were a man on um, on the Justin Fields touchdown run to start the game. Yeah, and they didn't have a spy on him. And Ohio State did have a spy on Adrian Martinez a little bit. I would drop, I guess, drop seven it's, yeah. and spy Fields every snap. Yeah, um, let them. And if ever right, we're dropping, we're dropping, we're dropping. Then the Ohio State's going to run on you. Let them run. I would let them run. 
drop, not drop into zone, try to pattern match a little bit, try to do some stuff, but don't just turn your back and run and man all the time either. I'd vary the coverages, but try to stay tight on guys. Um, make him find throwing lanes. Don't let him escape. Um, don't hope that you can generate some pressure with a three-man rush, but even if you can't, like that's okay. Keep him in the pocket and make him sit there and find guys. Um, He's not and, thinking And try not to get hit over the top. So I, I think, but I would just sit back and sit back, and then like every twenty fifth snap, run a corner blitz or a, or a Mike linebacker blitz or something that you don't expect, and try to rattle him. But um, I don't think you can pressure him. Um, but I also don't love. I do think defense. There are some defenses giving up too many easy throws. They're so afraid of their speed. They're playing cover three or dropping off enough that they're allowing some of the underneath throws. I would try to do something where I'm varying the coverages a little bit. Kind of like, it's like one of those things, how would you defend Ohio State? It's like, I'd have Ohio State's defense. But I think Jeff Halfley's made a lot of good points, and we've written and talked about it this year. If you vary the defense, it throws the quarterback off a little bit. You don't know if they're in man. You don't know if they're in zone. When they just drop in a zone and let Justin Field to the 12-yard out, 12 yard out, he'll hit it all day. If you play man and turn and run in man and have your back to the ball and you cover him, he'll run. So, like, you've got you've to, I think, vary your coverages, but... But make him make throw after throw after throw after throw after throw. Now, he'll probably do it because he's done it so far. But, he hasn't. but take away the easy underneath stuff. Don't get beat over the top. And just say you've got to hit stuff in the middle of the field. If you're going to hit some of the short stuff, we're going to come up on you a little bit and hope every now and then you can get a three-man rush or get a blitzer free. I, just, I, don't think I don't think they've hit on the exact right way to try to deal with him so far. Um, no team's made him throw. He's thrown 25 passes. Twice. Well, and that's actually, I forgot the other thing about the Heisman discussion, and I looked it up and then I started screaming about what the Heisman means to me. He's 61st in the country in passing yards per game. His stats aren't there. Like his stats, no. just like raw stats, and again, whether it should matter or not, stats absolutely matter in the Heisman. And when you compare his raw stats to Burrow, and Tua and Jalen Hurts, like he doesn't stack up. Now, if you watch him, you understand he is a complete control of every game Ohio State plays. But he does; he's throwing for 220 yards a game in a world where Joe Burrow's throwing for 380. But I'll take Burrow out of that conversation just because Burrow's already played a game where he's had to play four quarters. Tua really hasn't had a four quarter game yet. Neither is Hurts. But and neither is and neither. neither what I'm, all I'm saying Tua is, still is throwing for right, right, right. So yards. Like, to your point, like I'm just saying, take Burrow out, but keep Tua and Hurts in because they're in the same predicament. But Burrow's going to Burrow might have to play tough. I mean, like. I don't know. Stats are stats on some level. And again, the other part of this is that Heisman voters are idiots. I mean, there's people who don't yeah. even cover college football anymore. They have 900 voters. Yeah. They can barely find 62 competent AP voters to find 900 competent Heisman yeah, voters. I, get... I think there's probably about Why? two to 300 people. Why are there still 900 people? Like, I get the former Heismans and you're going to have your AP guys. Why are there 900 yeah, people this, voting on this? this? This is like the stuff with the paper play thing that we got to get to. It's the world, man. Like, if we want to have a conversation about, like, fine, call the Heisman people and ask them why they don't reduce it to 300 voters. It's the way it is, and it's the way it's been forever. And they give votes to a state, and there are 60 voters in this state, and 40 of them don't even watch college football anymore. So, well, let's see about that Joe Burrow, 300 in it. He doesn't, they don't know whether Joe Burrow played four quarters or three quarters or two quarters. He's fancy. So, I mean, that's the other thing is, is as much as it is a super important award, it is perhaps the most – not perhaps. It is the most uneducated electorate. It's large, so I think you try to eliminate bias 
you know, I mean, honestly, if you have 28 voters for an MVP award in baseball, if you get two or three guys off the reservation, you can swing the award. Yeah. One idiot's not going to swing the award in Heisman voting, but like 600 idiots might swing it. So, and there are probably 600 idiots in there. And again, I can say that because I'm one of them. Doug, after the Nebraska game on the podcast ride to the airport, you sounded like Sparty has no shot this weekend, yet the Antonio seems to thrive on games like this. Now that all three of you are several days removed from watching firsthand, does your opinion change? Does Sparty have more of a puncher's chance? No. Also, your by-the-text rant worked. I emailed once that last thing um, I needed was another text while driving down the road, but here I am driving down and reading your text and wanting you three to comment on the next game. Love the chemistry of the three of you on the podcast. Big improvement. And they mean big improvement by when I was just sitting and ranting by myself also. We, we so, support you subscribing to the podcast yeah. while you drive, but don't text and drive. That is a public service announcement that we all support, brought to you by Nathan Baird. Um, like, again, I, I, we, we get it. We get it. We talked about it in the video. Like, does, does that texter, who we are happy to have aboard, does that texter have any little D'Antonio point? D'Antonio loves to be the underdog. Like, any percent of be worried about that. No, not at all. I think Ohio State is still going to win this game, you know, handily. Yeah, I, I'm definitely buying into this this concept now. Where I mean, every game that Ohio State plays right now, it has the best X number of players. I mean, I, or or the best X out of the top ten players, and that number is usually like what seven, eight. Um, even against other really good Big Ten teams. I think Michigan State is a really good team. They're going to have a really good year, you know, a really solid bowl game. They're going to win a decent number of games. But I think we're just talking about a team that's proven itself to be at a different level right now. Now, I think that was also true of the last couple of years, too, in general, and they still had slip-ups. So it's something they'll always be probably a little bit concerned about. But playing at home, um, the, the, just kind of the trajectory that Ohio State is on right now, you, if it would be one thing if you saw weaknesses, if you saw – Little little cracks in the facade here that could be exposed, but I, I don't really see that right now. I just don't see a position yet where, like, they haven't played a team yet, and obviously Wisconsin will change that, but where if you go, who's the best player at this position, you don't say the Ohio State player. Yeah, I mean, Michigan State has an All-American at defensive end. They he's do, a legitimate but he's not, All-American. He's not he better be, than Ohio State. He's all, linebacker. Linebacker? Joe Batchy is, is better. better than Malik Harrison? No, I was I'm not sure about, he's the will linebacker, but... No, I was talking about... Um, Willicus was an All-American last year. Yeah, I know, no, I know but you're talking better. about that you're saying Ohio State yeah. 1 through 22 has a better player at every spot. Had, I'm saying Joe Batchy is better I'm, okay, fine. Let's than just, one of the Ohio State linebackers. Okay. Yeah. But, and I wasn't, I wasn't saying that Willicus is better than Chase Young. I was just saying that Willicus might be the third best football player in this game. That's possible. So I'm just saying that. But okay. out of the top 10, Ohio State probably still has eight of the best 10 yeah. players in this yeah. game. They don't have... 22 of the best 22. Okay, I'm saying by episode, like just defensive lineman, linebacker, cornerback, offensive lineman, quarterback, like running back. That's a wide receiver. That's what I'm saying. He might be be He might be the best linebacker. He might be better than Malik Harrison. That's a fully complete total. Malik Harrison's awesome. He, okay. Joe Bocci, Bocci, Bocci. I can't say So it, there's right. one. No, no well, I mean, I'm not going to – I'm not going to get into position know, where I'm defending I, Michigan I, State. I, I'm just saying, like, I think perhaps you have gone a shade too far. Okay. With, with point taken – but, and that might be the only one, but, but it's not, at least it's one. At least it's one. Looking um, for a pronunciation. Let's see if they have it on there. Oh. Will Ohio State be replacing, we gotta, we're gonna, we got to jet through these because we're over the Nathan, Nathan Baird threshold. Uh, <laughs> quickly, what's the, what's the weakness of this team? Mine would be defense against the option run. Doubt you'll actually get to my question, Mr. 9-3 and three, from the 4-1-2. So, <laughs> ha-ha, we got to it. 
We proved you wrong by putting your question on the air. And this, listen, I mean, like... Shows I, you, Mr. Yeah. The, the thing is, like, well, everybody has a weakness against the option because nobody runs it. So, like, you're not ready for it. But actually, again, it's like, if they knew they were playing an option team and were getting ready for it, I mean, it's all about the cut blocking and, like, there's a lot of weird stuff that happens and those option teams are super precise about what they do. But it's like, do they have guys who can, like, run to the ball on the edge and do they have defensive tackles? Who, like, yeah. They have all the pieces that you would need to defend the option. The whole reason that people run the option is that it's hard to defend. But I think Ohio State would actually have as much chance to defend the option as any team in yeah. college football. I mean, look, the Miami-Ohio game, they came out and they threw that misdirection stuff at them for like one series, and it worked until it didn't because Ohio State adjusted and closed that off. Uh, Nebraska came out with some interesting formations, threw that power eye at them for a little bit. And it worked for a little while until Ohio State called the timeout and adjusted. The timeout didn't necessarily lead to the interception. It came right after that. But it definitely, I think, allowed them to get their feet under them again. And they didn't allow anything the rest of that half. I mean, they just shut them off for the rest of that half. So I, I will. I agree with what the, the, the reader's trying to say, the, the, the texture's trying to say. But I will say that this team has already demonstrated that no matter what you throw at it on offense, it seems to be able to adjust. It just has enough talent in so many places and is smart enough and is well-coached enough that it can make those adjustments on the fly. All right, you know what? We're going to have to cut it off there. I'm realizing i got to get to a cross-country meet, and I'm going to be driving in traffic, and I'm going to be late. So um, there's a million more questions we can get to. I'll try to get to some of them in text responses. I'll try to maybe write, a, I don't know, write something about it. I don't know. We get too many good questions. There's some stuff about assistant coaches and other things. If, we'll, we'll get to in the post-game pod, or actually we'll save some of these and get to next week when we are uh, in the bye week. I will be at the fake playoff thing in Texas on Wednesday and Thursday. So if you're a tech subscriber, I will keep you totally updated on whatever is happening there. If there's any interesting stuff you need to know, Nathan and Stephen will be at interviews on Wednesday night with a lot more stuff coming from Ohio State. So keep reading Cleveland.com. If you want to subscribe to Project Text, Cleveland.com slash OSU. You'll find information about it there or ProjectText.com slash Buckeye Talk. Drop a review on iTunes. We certainly appreciate those. But most of all, we appreciate you guys listening and reading our stories. So for Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, sorry we had to like modulate our voices there for a little bit, but it is a place of business. I'm Doug Maurice. And that was Buckeye Talk.